Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. And in honor of the series finale that premiered last week, we'll be discussing one of the best shows to ever hit television screens in the past decade. And probably the best spinoff show ever made, Better Call Saul. It's here, finally. Now, do you think House of the Dragon will become the best spinoff show ever, seeing how it's premiering this week? I don't think it will. Damn, that I will sucks. be watching the episode for it. I mean, it has a really good source material, so if they yeah. treat it like the first four seasons of Game of Thrones, it could do quite well. But yeah, we'll have to if see. Only. Now, we've got some news starting off with HBO Max is starting to take off Certain titles, including Infinity Train, the creators of which were not notified in advance, which pisses me off because I really liked Infinity Train, but I only watched the first season, and I'll never get to watch the rest of it because I don't have anything other than HBO Max. That's crazy. I never saw Infinity Train, but I am mad on behalf of everyone who enjoyed it and all the creators behind it. Same for all the other shows, because that's insane that they're doing this apparently just to avoid paying residuals, which would be, I mean, not that much anyway that that the creators would be getting because apparently they're not getting watched enough bro why is warner brothers being so stingy it's warner brothers discovery david zaslav they cut the uh, batman for tax reasons they're cutting out titles so they have to pay residuals bro that'd be crazy if you cut the batman that would be truly insane but yeah it's it's sad that the creators are getting the short end of the stick here and also i mean imagine being someone that's now about to get a project with Warner Brothers Discovery, you can't even trust that it'll come out or stay very long on the streaming service. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know why they're going about business this way because they're just burning all these creators. Other people are going to be less inclined to work with them. Just doesn't seem very smart. So I no. hope the financial payoffs and write-offs that they're getting is going to be worth it because they're going to be losing out on quite a bit of business because of it. Other I news, mean, you know what they say at the gym is that short-term gains are not as good as long-term gains. If you do if you go for the short-term exactly. gains, you're taking an L. Yeah. By the way, everybody, I'm going to the gym more often. I know I'm he's our, a lot of a lot of new phrases. He's our resident gym rat, so he's out here oh, yeah. bringing up that fitness wisdom. In other news, Cineworld, which owns Regal, is filing for bankruptcy again, second time, but. They're not shutting down. They'll survive. They'll be okay. Other news. Kung Fu Panda 4 just got announced. 2024 yes. release date, which is pretty quick. I mean, I guess we're at the tail end of 2022 now. So hey, Ryan. 2024 is where all the new announcements are going to be placed. Are you excited for that? Skadoosh. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Remember in Everything Ever All at Once where he did Skadoosh? Mm-hmm. Paying respect to all the great martial arts movies. Yeah. Badass. Um, Ezra Miller. So as part of our ongoing Escapade series, we have... You know, I I don't often like doing the news, but when we cover long stories like this, it's very exciting. Yeah, it's quite rewarding to... Like when we did the Jesse Smollett thing, Mm -hmm. and now we're doing Ezra Miller, this is is definitely, like, exciting. And just the the news pouring in is, is very fun to report on. 
Yes. And hopefully we are now going to uh, report more positively about things regarding Ezra Miller because this past week, Ezra Miller released a statement where he apologized and started taking responsibility for all the things that were going on, acknowledging that they happened and announced that he is now in treatment. Uh, I'm reading part of the statement right now. He says, quote, having recently gone through a time of intense crisis, I now understand that I'm suffering from complex mental health issues and have begun ongoing treatment. I want to apologize to everyone I've alarmed and upset with my past behavior. I'm committed to doing the necessary work to get back to a healthy, safe, and productive stage in my life. Now, Dylan, as someone who, because of our reporting, has followed along with this story yep. from his very beginning. Uh, humble beginning. How do you feel about this apology? I mean, it's it's an empty promise without follow through. So you just kind of just got to keep watching and see if well, he actually if he's gets in treatment, treatment. Then it is follow through. Well, I'm imagining that <laughs> that is the case that he is actually in treatment currently. I sure hope so. Yeah, it also seems like like you brought up last week. We were going through the options that Warner Brothers Discovery had. Mm-hmm. Option one was. He, he makes a statement, a limited goes to seek treatment, statement, yeah. yeah, and then he's not involved that much in press. That's exactly what they went with, which honestly, if I had to make a call, I'd probably make the same call. Yeah. So hopefully he'll be able to get help, get back on track. We'll see. I mean, I believe for... I believe in second chances, but I'm also aware of the the apology tour presence in Hollywood that a lot of actors do. And uh, so... It's more about tempering expectations and seeing how the future plays out while also trying to find a way to forgive what they have done for the past if we can. So I will just, I'm I'm not in, like in love with any kind of apology statement, but it's more actions than words that I care about. So we'll see what Ezra Miller does in the future. Sure. But I think there's something to be said, at least like as a bare minimum, acknowledging the things that have gone on. That of course, happen. but also it's, it's definitely better than him saying, you know, you'll never find me. Like, <laughs> like he's like he's fucking on the run. Haunting like the he's cops. definitely yeah. it's definitely a, the best statement he's made so far. I would For say, sure. but yeah. but but it's still after everything, after everything we've all gone through covering this story, the emotional just, torment just, of having to report yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> we were the most aggrieved by it. But no, well, I we'll think, just have to wait and see. Yeah, Uh, obviously, yeah, we're hoping for the best. He is able to get help. Everything will end up well. At least he'll be able to have life again. We'll see about if he'll have a career, but certainly not with the Flash. But maybe some point later down the line, he'll be able to get things going for him again. I think it's definitely recoverable. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, people have recovered people have from way back. worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mel uh, Gibson like four times. It's crazy. So yeah. We can talk uh, about our box office breakdown now for August twelfth to the fourteenth. Coming in first place, Bullet Train with thirteen point four million. That is a fifty-five percent drop from the weekend before. Not too shabby, but still low numbers for one of my picks for the box office draft. I'm still contemplating a switch out since I still have the one switch out left, and I have not done any research because i forgot until just now you have a lot of time so i do nothing big's coming out anytime soon in second place in its 12th weekend we have top gun maverick it's bullshit seven million with a slight 
0.2% increase. Increase in its 12th weekend. It has gone yeah. up. Not a lot, but still. Come on. Well, yeah, the they expanded a few hundred theaters. So, again, they did a little push. Apparently, it was like a fan appreciation weekend or something. So, you get this like posters as well. So, they're trying to push it closer to $700 million. Uh, They're like $25 million away. We'll see how it goes. Apparently, though, rumor on the street is they're going to release it on PVOD uh, soon, which, of course, as we know, always undercuts the box office. It's so, the box office killer. Indeed. So we'll see if it'll be able to inch across $700 million. But right now, it is still doing amazing. I mean, number two on the list. I just Crazy. can't believe it. It it increased after its 12th <laughs> weekend. Did you know that it surpassed Endgame? Endgame or Infinity War? Endgame as the uh, number as the sixth yeah. uh, domestically. Domestically, that's nuts. It truly is. Yeah, you could never. Nobody would have told you that would be the case a few months ago. So yeah. it keeps shattering records. Mm-hmm. Keeps keeps breaking the the hard deck. Hard deck, constantly. Absolutely crazy. Coming in third is DC League of Super Pets. Also a seven million, but slightly less. Thor: Love and Thunder five point three seven million, which nope. just beat out Nope with five point three six million. Wow, crazy, real close. Mm-hmm. Also, Minions with five million. Where the Crawdads Sing with four million. It now has seventy three million, so it has passed Morbius's domestic total, which is funny. <laughs> is, that, is that the benchmark for everything now? Yeah, we, we, we track when it passes Morbius's domestic total. <laughs> Absolutely. After that was Bodies, Bodies, Bodies with three point two million. Elvis two point five million. It has now crossed one hundred forty one million domestic, which is nearly double Morbius's domestic total. <laughs> After that was fall with two and a half million. Indeed. And so that runs out the top 10. Another indicator that we are in the post pandemic box office world. 15 movies. Except for Cinema to... World. Well, yeah. <laughs> They'll be okay. They survived the pandemic once. They can do it again. They survived one bankruptcy. They can do it again. Yeah. We have 15 movies that crossed over 1 million this week. So that's super cool. Yeah. Uh, now for our predictions for this upcoming weekend, which would be the what? 19 to the 21st. Yes. It is Beast, an Idris Elba movie about a lion attacking him and his family in Africa. So what do you think that one will get? If you haven't well, already seen the first let me Let me look it up now. <laughs> no, <laughs> <because> no, no. <laughs> you can't we're, spoil it. We're you recording this on the 21st, which is the, the last day that we count. You so, can't <laughs> guess. The whole point is we predict. Right, I'll guess and then I'll look the it break- up. I'll well, guess. No, for the breakdown. Spoil the breakdown. Yeah, for next week. Come on. You can't do that. We still don't know what today's numbers are going to be. We can yeah. guess, but we, we don't know. Projections are. All right. Beast, I'm going to say no more than 10 million. Okay. Am I wrong? Have you looked up the numbers? Well, I do know, which is why I was trying to ask you to be the predictor. Well, then it'll be fun. I'll guess, and you can tell me what it is. What's Beast at right now? It'll be like 10 million. Yeah. Hey, I'm getting better at this. Dragon Ball Super, superhero. I don't know if you actually looked it up. You're typing I didn't. I swear I did. I I looked up the word Beast, and then then I deleted the, the page, and then went back to talking to you. Dragon Ball Super, superhero. So the newest... Dragon Ball movie to come out. As you know, or maybe you don't know, mm. I'm a big Dragon Ball fan. Are you going to go Dragon see Ball it? Z. Uh, maybe next week. Couldn't do it this weekend, but it'll yeah. still be in theaters because it's doing well. What do you think 
its opening is? 32 million. That's way too well. That would have been amazing. No, it's around 21 million. Damn, I was going to say 22, about. and then I went up to 32. Dang. Fuck me. Yeah, not that well. But because you 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 influenced me by saying it was doing well. Twenty two was my expectation, and then you said it's well, doing 20, well. That's a crazy expectation because yeah, because how much did Mugen Train do? Around that, yeah. And so I was like, God damn it. Okay, whatever. Also, this weekend, House of the Dragon is premiering. Unfortunately, we don't get to see those numbers as much well, as yeah. I'd so like to. But we might release it if it's huge because they've been yeah. pushing it a lot. I just want to know: Are you going to watch it? This first episode. I think Spencer and Fernando, my roommates, are going to be watching it later tonight. And they asked me if I wanted to watch with them. And I said no. Wow. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and I'm going to see what people's response are. Particularly their two responses and your response are to the first few episodes. And then what? What if you watched the first episode? Uh-huh. That's a very low commitment. I mean, sure. it's just the first episode, so you give I it a chance to do on its own merits tonight. You got yeah. this podcast, and you I can go, go to the gym. To the go, got this podcast. You go to gym. You go straight to House of the Dragon. You're I gotta get up, up for work tomorrow. After I go to the gym, I go to bed. That's fine. That's a okay. You can watch House of the Dragon, <laughs> and then sleep, dreaming of, uh, you know, you can count the dragons as you go to sleep. Apparently, there's nine in the season. It would be amazing. No, I don't have to count, Ryan. God damn it. So you can <laughs> count all the scales on their wings. How about that? Jesus, I, how am I going to do that? I don't know, man, but you'll fall asleep pretty quickly. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I'm going to wait to see what you guys say. And if I hear good things, I'll give it a shot. Because I, I just watch one episode and see. I don't want see to. If it's your style. I really don't want to. I wasn't even like the biggest Game of Thrones fan. Like, I enjoyed it, and I thought the first four seasons were fantastic, and then I thought it started to get worse, and then it was really bad. And overall, it was just a mediocre experience. And uh, so I'm not super attached to House of the Dragon to begin with. Interesting. So I'm going to wait for for your guys' uh, take on it. And all okay. I need is, like, a thumbs up or a thumbs down. That's all I need. Like, the first few episodes. You'll wa- you guys will watch, like, the first three episodes, and then I'll be like, should I watch it or should I not watch it? And then you'll tell me. I see. Well, why don't we start talking about a show that you did really enjoy? That was a spinoff of another show that you did have a lot of attachment to. The Patrick Star Show. No. <laughs> <laughs> we have Better Call Saul. Of course, following the character Saul Goodman, who first appeared in Breaking Bad. You and I did our special on Breaking Bad last year around November or sometime like that. And the year before we that, watched. we did a special on El Camino, or maybe two years before that, honestly. Yeah. So we've been talking about it a lot on the show. We always reference Breaking Bad as this big benchmark for us as the greatest thing on television, both of Just our the favorite best. shows. So with Better Call Saul, I had never seen it. Mm-hmm. You had watched some of the seasons, but not been fully caught up yet. And of course, season six was coming out, yep. which neither of us had watched at that point so with better call Saul, now that we have seen the full thing in its entirety we'll talk about that but i want to know what your initial reactions were to the announcement of better call Saul. whenever you first heard of the show heard that it was a spinoff did you think oh this is going to be some weird stupid cash grab not going to live up to the hype not going to come anywhere close to breaking bad or 
did you have a little faith in it? So this was a long time ago. This they announced this show back in when we were in high school, right? Well, it would have had started to have been premiering in high school. We were in high school for sure. Yeah. So they probably announced it like when we were freshmen, and now I have a bachelor's degree. So I'll be honest with you. I don't even think I had seen Breaking Bad yet <laughs> when they announced Better Call Saul. Right. So I watched. When did you first become conscious like of the fact that there was a Better Call Saul out there? Uh, when season two was coming out. Mm. Season two came out, and I was able to binge watch seasons one and two. And then season three was the first season I watched as it came out each week. And then I did the same thing for season four. And then my family, because we had, uh, what's that sling? We had sling. And that's how I was watching live TV. And then either we got rid of it or I just got lazy and didn't watch. Oh, I know what it was. I got lazy and I didn't watch season five as it was coming out. And then after like the sixth episode came out, I went to rewatch it. But Sling only saves like the last three episodes to watch after the fact. So like the first two episodes weren't even on Sling anymore. So I was like, fuck it. I'm not going to start from episode three. That'd be dumb as fuck. So I was like, I'm going to wait for season five to be on Netflix. Cut to fucking two and a half years later or something. (laughs) It took a billion years for season five to be on Netflix. It didn't get on Netflix until the month season six started premiering, which is bullshit. I waited so fucking long for that to come out on Netflix so that I could finally watch it. And it took me a while to watch it. So you actually lapped me. That's true. Yeah. You watched all of Better Call Saul before I had even started season six. Like you had you had watched all of it up until the last episode before I had even started season six. Very true. I was pumped, man. man I enjoyed yeah. it. And also one thing I do gotta point out. Screw AMC plus. Whoa. Because you and I were, the plan was, so we mm. would catch up season five on Netflix. Then we would start the uh, season six on AMC Plus, And then together mm-hmm. we were going to watch live the series finale. Yes. Amazing plan. We're like, it's beautiful. Amazing. So I finish season five uh-huh. and I start looking into AMC Plus in order to start getting that. Because again, I mean, I was, I was ready. I was pumped up. I wanted to watch the next episode. Of course. And I come to find out Thank God I did my due diligence of the research because they only had pretty much like Sling TV, I guess. They only had like the last two most recent episodes that have premiered. Yeah. So if you wanted to watch episodes like one through, it was like 10 at that point that I was looking into it. Mm-hmm. We couldn't do it with AMC Plus. We would have to buy AMC Plus and then buy the rest of the episodes individually. Or as like a package, I suppose. And we said, screw that. We're going to just purchase a season off of Amazon. We went to Daddy Bezos. We did. Full season six. And here's the confession I have to make. Mm. As you know, I am extreme against the happenings going on over at Pirate Bay. You didn't. You fucking didn't. But I was so pumped up for season Ryan, no. because season five was so good and i already knew we were going to purchase it from daddy bezos as you say it so, just it took me a few days it took me a few days to sit down and purchase and start the account the shared account for our I did and again i was thinking itching, it took me a few days itching. and you were pushing me you were like you got to set up the account you got to set up the amazon like, account 
And it took me a few days to find the time to be able to do it. And I finally set up our shared box office show Amazon account and then put down my credit card and then bought the episodes. It was like three days after you'd asked me to do it. Is that when you watched it? Yes, because I couldn't hold out any longer. And you, I was like, God, you're so weak, Ryan. You're such a weak, pathetic fool. Because it was just so How good. could you give in to temptation? Well, again, I told you, ethically. How can you not drink alcohol, but you can pirate Better Call Saul season six? Because it's a clean slate. I'm already buying the season anyway. So I already own season one. I was just taking in advance, right? I'm going to go to the I gym tonight. I can eat fries now. I'm not sure that's quite the same, but that's yeah. just the it's just the addicts like <laughs> it's it's the way the addicts like convince themselves what they're doing is okay. I'll go to AA tomorrow. One more drink is fine. Look, doing cons is Jimmy McGill's addiction. And your con is pirating weekends, one episode of Better Call Saul. My addiction was Better Call Saul. <laughs> and I needed to get my fix. And you weren't you weren't providing me with the good stuff at that point, so I had to find it somewhere else. Wow. Had to visit Pirate Bay. Had to go sailing, but after I watched only the premiere on Pirate Bay, I was able to use our shared account and blow through the rest of it. it you really did. Awesome. I literally I made the account, and I think like two days later, I went to start season six, and it was already caught up. And I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I don't know if it was that quick, but yeah, it was I've never seen you binge anything, anything at all, let alone that fast. Because you like, hate it, binging. It was still on my regular like schedule of one or two episodes a day but oh yes i was i was going through it quick comparatively because you were lagging behind a bit but okay let us now start talking about each season finally we didn't really plan out like with the breaking bad one how we're going to go about it i think we're just going to talk through the major things that happened in the season the things that stood out to us i took my notes down yeah this and breaking bad This and Breaking Bad are definitely shows where the way to talk about it is season by season because each season is just so unique and distinct with what happens and how it progresses the story. I think Breaking or Better Call Saul, especially like each season has a very well defined arc, except for like season five and the first part of season six. I think they leak into each other really well, where it just like flows from one to the next. But I think the rest of them are definitely very distinct phases of the show. So now let's talk about season one of Better Call Saul. So, what do you think? I mean, let's just start with the first episode, which I think did a pretty good job of uh, soothing us into this new world with Jimmy McGill, which is definitely a lot less uh, action-packed and breakneck pace than Breaking Mm -hmm. Bad was in its pilot. So I think it did a good job of setting the stage for this being a much more character-focused, slower type of show, especially earlier on. But then it had the big reveal in the final few minutes of Tuco. Oh, that so good. Insane. I remember watching me. that when I first watched the show and was like, I'm already in love with this show. I'm already game. I'm I'm ready to fall in love with it. What a, what a great little twist they threw in there at the last second. To set up the rest of season, the the rest of episode two, because you're so not good. expecting it at all for them to bring in yeah. any sort of tie-in to Breaking Bad that earlier on, but they did. And then you're wondering how is he going to be able to get out of this in the following episode? And I mean, we get an understanding of why they call him Slippin' Jimmy. Yeah, he's slippery, he's slimy. He's able to weasel him his way out of it. So that was fun, and that's another mark of the show that. 
I really enjoy, which also with Breaking Bad, a lot with Walt and his lies, stacked on lies, stacked on lies. I love just it when love. Walt lies. It's one of my I favorite know. parts because he just his his worst character trait when it comes to lying is that he just over explains and he just doesn't stop talking. I know because he keeps spinning the story thing. and I love that. Because he like overplans. It. It's so good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just love seeing that people just talking their way out, arguing their way out. And we get to see that a lot with Jimmy in this one. Um, so that's super cool. Another big, especially earlier on in the show, a big element, which of course had, you know, its shadows playing throughout the rest of the seasons was the relationship between Jimmy and his brother, Chuck. Chuck. So. Chuck is my favorite character. (laughs) He is your favorite character? Yeah. I think he probably is my favorite character. I fucking love Chuck. Talk to me why you love Chuck. Because he sucks. Because he sucks so (laughs) much. He's like the worst person on television. And it's fucking great. Like, he's just so well-written, so well-performed. He's such a good, like, antagonist for for Jimmy. Because, like, Chuck has everything. He has everything. Everything that Jimmy wants. And the only thing he doesn't have is Jimmy's charisma. And it's just so good. It's the only thing he doesn't have. It's just all he wants. And so he's just so jealous. So jealous of how everybody loves Jimmy for doing nothing. How he has to do so much work. Just that jealousy just seeps into every... Every conversation you watch him have in like seasons two and three is just so good. I agree. I think the initially when we get the whole his electromagnetic allergy thing, I forget what the exact term is that they call it, but that whole condition of his, I'm like mixed with it because parts of it, especially earlier on in the first season, I don't know how invested I was in that, how interested I was in it. Yeah. Because we knew, I mean, it had to be like fake at some point and i did yeah. think earlier on you were trying to guess is he purposely faking all of it or is he just that screwed up in the head that he's like having this condition and it's purely mental and not even a physical thing at all and why is he having that like mental condition then um but for the most part i don't know it's just it would grate on me every time we mm-hmm. would have to go through the like song and dance of him not being able to deal with the electricity um, but I do think everything you pointed out is so true about him being a very well-written character and a very well-placed antagonist to Jimmy because he's not like an evil person. But the worst things about him, as you said, are his jealousy um, and his insecurity around not being as likable as Jimmy, his brother, yeah. and his support superiority complex. So he's always trying to leverage his intellect to status as this big shot lawyer um and holding that over jimmy whenever he can so that he is able to feel like haha i'm a better person than he is mm-hmm. even if he's more liked oh i'm a better person and so we're able to frame all of that around jimmy's struggle where he's starting out with his own practice out of a nail salon he's the he's, underdog yeah he's the underdog he's trying as hard as he can to find his footing and we see him struggling with the moral dilemma of trying to take shortcuts here and there yeah. in order to get himself further along. And of course, Chuck being someone who's already at the top doesn't have like the shadow of <laughs> all the, like some of the criminal past that Jimmy had and um, just coming off like that sleazy lawyer 
like the one uh, I forget her name, but the Kettleman's the wife who Marsha is, is it Marsha? No, not I think Betsy maybe. Betsy Kettleman Betsy. There you go. Yeah, Betsy and Craig, where she points out like, oh, you're not really the type of lawyer that we hire. Like you're the lawyer that guilty people hire. So he's yeah. trying to Jimmy's trying to like get out of that perception, which of course is the perception that Chuck is always able to use against him, which of course comes in later uh, in season two and three when they have those conversations um, where he's like, you were just like this. Like this is who you are. It's innate in you, the whole nature versus nurture thing. Like he's basically trying to point out like, yeah, you are a bad slimy person at your core and that makes mm -hmm. me better than you. Yeah. Even though arguably, and they do a lot to, show the balance of it chuck's lack of support does in many ways contribute to jimmy falling back into these patterns where he is being slimy and sleazy and being slipping jimmy so that dynamic i think is just done perfectly so yeah beautifully written beautifully performed by beautifully michael explained McKean by is that the actor for chuck? michael mckean yeah yeah so he's great too yeah, beautifully so, yeah. explained, Ryan. Beautifully. Hey, thank you. I You're welcome. It. Um, I also in season one, I do love the subplot of the Kettlemans. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. They're great actors. Agreed. They're so good. The 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 level of commitment they make as actors and as the characters to the lie they have is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Like it's so frustrating and it's so wonderful. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's just the perfect thing to watch. It's like the perfect little subplot for any lawyer to lawyer drama to be involved with like people who are genuinely 100% guilty and they just no matter what caught with the money in their hands <laughs> refuse to admit it I know yeah it's so frustrating and wonderful 100% so yeah that stuff was really really cool uh, let's also talk about Mike oh the second lead basically oh, in so the good. show I, I love also didn't expect him to come in like at the very beginning, the very yeah. first episode, because I knew he was a part of it, but I thought he was going to come in later, like with Gus and all of that. I didn't expect us to start following his story from the get-go as well. I love how in Breaking Bad, there's not a lot to know about Saul's background or Mike's background or how they know each other or how Mike knows Saul and knows Gus and works for Gus, but still works for Saul. Like there's very little known about that entire situation. But it seems very fleshed out, and that's why it's believable. And here we see it actually get fleshed out. And not only is it believable, but it's the perfect way to execute their background. Like, it works so wonderfully. The The episode in season one with Mike 5-0 is just absolutely wonderful. Start to finish. Like, it start, doesn't it start, if I remember correctly, I haven't seen season one in months. If I remember correctly, it starts with him at the train station at Albuquerque, and he has the bullet shots in him that he's cleaning the wound in. Like when he first arrives in Albuquerque to to move there permanently, he has the bullet wounds in him, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. And then that sets up like what kind of scrap he gets into before f arriving to Albuquerque where the rest of the, the character stays for the rest of the show. And just the heartbreaking background of like his son was a good guy. His son was a good cop and he got killed for nothing. It was like I 10 grand. Got killed for nothing. And Mike was the bad cop who told him to take the money. 
just that, that guilt that weighs on him it like it carries his moral character for the next three seasons as he like as he like refuses to, he like pushes the line more and more back into like muddying those moral waters but like he still like holds on firmly to like his son and what his son believed in and like trying to live that better life and then it gets unraveled in season four and then continues to unravel in very believable ways until he becomes the Mike we know in Breaking Bad, who is not only terrifying, but definitely willing to push the boundaries of what is morally acceptable in order to get the job done. Like he still has morals that's clear throughout all of Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, but his line gets pushed really far. Right. Like starting at, in Better Call Saul, he's a good guy. Like he's a good man who takes care of his family who will sometimes break the law, but never pushes the line too far. And then you get to Breaking Bad, and he's just, he's killing people. He's threatening people. He says, I'm going to break your legs. I'm going to break your neck. He's going to kill Walter White. He's he's definitely like, even though he has somewhat of a moral compass, more than most characters in Breaking Bad, he still pushes the line very far. Right. And I don't know, I don't know if it's a compass that I'd call it, but it's certainly a, code that he strictly abides by well it's a and compass was, because it, it's, it's at least the first three seasons because it's based on like his son's morals like he's following that guide in memoriam of his son like you can tell like he is he's not willing to kill people in the first three seasons of the show because he doesn't want to be that bad cop anymore like we right. hear the story in breaking bad where he the guy who beats his wife and then one day he beats his wife to death and he took a half measure and told him not to beat her again, but he still beat her to death. So he takes a full measure and he shoots him in the head and buries him out yonder, whatever. And so it's like, you know, he was a bad guy when he was a cop. He killed people. Like he murdered people when he was a cop. For sure. And th- he has moral reasons or he has justifications for doing it that he might believe is moral. But he's he was a bad cop, like a really, really bad cop. And then his son's death, his son dying for doing the right thing, even though he told him to do the wrong thing. Like it changes him. You can see it change him from seasons one to three. And then he like, he meets Gus who becomes a new like figure to look up to as opposed to the memory of his son. And Gus has much, much like thinner morals than his son, much thinner. Like the line is much farther. And so he's willing to get pushed farther and farther until the end of season four, which we'll get to. And his, his whole moral compass gets shattered and he starts to become the Mike we see in Breaking Bad. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but it is interesting because he didn't, and we'll put a pause on it, he didn't have to do what he did, but there are reasons, which no. is a great theme to Breaking Bad, but also in this show it gets reiterated multiple times, is the idea that once you're in too deep, it's just so hard to get out. Yeah. You're just stuck in oh, it. Yeah. So in many ways he's like forced to do what he has to do. Um, but again, it's one of those things where like, and again, they address it, bad choice road. Once you start making those initial bad choices, you just get to a point where it becomes inevitable that you have to lose your morals in certain ways and get pushed yeah. to do these things that you have to do or otherwise bad things will happen to you or people you love. Mm-hmm. But it still always does come down to you because you made those initial choices. And now you're just living through the consequences of it. Um, but a thing about Mike is he always, like, he has a very stern moral code in that whatever his boss is saying, like he will listen to instructions and follow orders to a T. He will not go beyond that if it's not necessary. He will not skim money off 
like in the whole Bagman Desert episode. Yeah. Like you'll never just take money away. Um, that comes up as well with, I forget his name too, but the guy that Mike is dealing with in the first and second season who needs like, a, who's, he's selling the like pharmaceutical prescription pills. Um, dang, what is his name? I forget it. It's a good ass question. His, I can't remember his name his either. He small cards at one point. My baseball cards. I know, yeah. <laughs> but he does the same thing there of... I know, just, his, I know his name in real life. His name is Mark Proche in real why life. Why do you know Because he's like a comedian. Like, he he's in? a real guy. Oh. He's in He's in stuff with... Uh, what's his name? Eric... Oh, no, Tim. Tim Heidecker. He's in stuff with Tim Heidecker. And he's in a couple other shows. He's in The Office for a bit. Like, he's an actual, like, comedian. He's really funny. Gotcha. Yeah, that's also part of what sets Mike apart, is you do see, at least with the killing thing him not wanting to fall back into that but he's still not a dirty still a part of but he's still dealing with the criminal underworld trying to avoid things that are overly violent but yeah. still like willing to get in with those sorts of people you know getting jobs from the veterinarian dude the dog that yeah mm -hmm. um and so that is a really interesting element of his character is he'll always just stick to the job do the job do what you have to do um and not like bring emotions into it too much mm -hmm. um so yeah that's a fascinating element of mike but as you stated earlier yeah that 5-0 episode and his monologue in that so good his acting was off the charts as well yeah it was horrible when he says i broke my boy it's just uh breaks your heart i broke my boy because he I did broke that. my yeah. son so the guilt is just entirely weighing on him all this time what a performance He's been playing this character since like 2008. No, yeah, 2009. 2009. But since God. Season two, yeah. So Great. good. Crazy stuff. Um, but okay, any other elements of season one that you want to throw out there before we move on? Just that very end twist of Howard not being the villain and Chuck being the true antagonist. Which I love as well. Which is brilliant. And so it's... perfect. Because even though, even though Chuck is the antagonist, I still think Howard is a good, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, He's the, the opposite of Jimmy. No, he's like the, the opposite oh, of Jimmy. Oh, he's a foil. A foil. He's a foil of Jimmy. Like, through and through the whole show, I think he's a good foil for Jimmy, even though he, his role gets diminished. And I think pitting him against his foil in season one, it's so easy to figure out, oh, Howard's the antagonist. Like, we know that right away. And so that twist does come out of kind of nowhere. Like, it's very unpredictable. They don't, they do all the setup work, but they don't, reveal too much which is great and then just i'm gonna start off with my notes now the best quote like one of the best quotes in the whole show and definitely the best quote in season one is when he's having that fight with chuck at the very end of the very last episode and chuck says slipping jimmy with a law degree is like a chimp <laughs> with a machine gun i yeah, love that love line <laughs> it, it like punches so hard like it, it tells you exactly to me it tells you exactly what you need to know about chuck like he just views jimmy so low he thinks of such little of Jimmy. Agreed. Yeah. And and it's just it's just the resentment is just so strong there with the performance. I love that scene and I love that twist. And it sets up so much great stuff for the next three seasons. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, some other quotes I had jotted down from that season when he was chewing Jimmy out for all of that, when he reveals that he was the one that didn't let him get the job at HHM. And he says, pointing out he was he got his law degree from university of samoa right american samoa yeah american samoa yeah go sand crabs 
or go land grabs. <laughs> exactly. He goes, oh, you took shortcuts and you think you're up here to me. Again, that's what it's all about. He wants to always make sure that he is above Jimmy yeah. mm-hmm. and that his little brother is always below him. And again, it's like part of what he was saying in that stuff of like, oh, the law is sacred. Like, I believe Chuck truly does believe that. Like, he wants the law to be this thing that you have to have a really good head on your shoulders. You have to come at it from like the most ethical standpoint in order to practice it. And he has seen from his history that Jimmy is not always that. But then he just writes off the possibility of him being able to do that and being able to get to the point where he can practice law, do it well, do it justly, because he doesn't believe and doesn't want to believe that Jimmy can be on the same level as him Mm -hmm. and uphold this like sacred duty of uh, carrying out the law. So again, that was all really fascinating. Also, I want to point out It's All Good Man as the the origins of Saul Goodman. I had no idea. That's crazy. That you phrase, didn't know that? It's All Good Man? No. When have you ever heard that in real life? Outside of the show it's, or in references to Breaking well, Bad? Well, it is in the it is in the IMDb trivia for Breaking Bad. Oh, so okay. I have so I knew it going into the show that Saul Goodman was based on It's All Good Man and it was picked because it's funny and it also sounds Jewish. Right. That's the reason for it. But I love uh the last thing is there's like a lot of good setup to that twist that we've been talking about. And my favorite example is I'm uh, I'm trying to remember back to it and I'm pretty sure. But when you watch the back through season one, it stands out very strongly when when Jimmy goes and he tells Chuck that he's a lawyer now, he shows him the the paper that he's a lawyer and like that he passed the bar and, he, and Chuck seems so happy for him and all that stuff. I'm pretty sure I'm not completely sure, but I'm pretty sure that the very next scene is like because he says in the scene with Chuck. I can't wait to work here as a lawyer and things like that. And the very next scene is Howard going in and like, you, you know that he's telling him in the middle of his party that he can't work as a lawyer. Like, it's just like the way they weave that in is really, really good. Sure. Yeah. And then one thing I want to bring up is just, I don't know what was going on in the writer's room, but they thought of the two craziest things I've ever heard in my life. First, in the very first episode, Saul is defending these like hoodlums that did something. You think, oh, they just broke in somewhere. They're trespassing. They broke into a morgue, decapitated a corpse, and then started having sex with it? With the neck? What? That is, who thought of that? I just want to know who is like, guys, I got a perfect idea for what these kids did. I love that the prosecution's entire case, like he doesn't say a word. He just stands (laughs) up and he just plays the video because it's all you need to say. And then, of course, he loses because, like, it's just so hard to defend. Yeah, how do you? <laughs> His defense is we all did crazy stuff when we yeah. were kids. It's like, come so on. So good. Who hasn't done something like that? And then the other one at the end of the episode, which comes in during his monologue at Bingo, which was a great, like, build up to it. We finally learned what the Chicago sunroof was, which, again, I don't know if you knew. That's like an actual term. I did not know. That no I didn't what know. That meant. And it was. He defecated through a sunroof. I can't believe that. With kids in the car, he in the backseat. children. I couldn't believe that. My jaw dropped. We talk about things that like physically make our jaws drop. That was one. That was the biggest jaw drop I've had in recent memory. That was what, a good, what a good reason, though, for him to have to go and work for Chuck is Chuck like, has to save him from a sex offender rap. I know. Because he pooped on kids. That's insane. And then also the line, he wanted soft serve. I gave him soft serve because they were at an ice cream joint. <laughs> and he went to the, food, the sunroof. So good. So good. 
But okay, yeah. So that's season one. We can now move on to season two. So let's start with Kim. We didn't mention her for season one, but Kim certainly as a good reason, uh, show goes on. Because yeah, Kim in the first season, she's there, but she didn't really have much of her own character. She has a very diminished role. And then in season two, she has like my favorite arc, which is her and Jimmy just falling in love. Like that's all season two is to me. And I have a list of great examples from season two that I'm going to read off that Don't just make me so happy. Remind so, us. The scene, because first off, Jimmy goes and he rejects the offer to work for Davis and Maine, and he just decides to quit the law, and he's just chilling. Like, he just, he gets frustrated with being a lawyer. Uh, Marco, is that his name? Marco dies. Yeah. And he feels like that part of him is gone. He wants to try and reclaim it. That's why he puts the pinky ring on. He's going to be, you know, he's not going to let anything hold him back anymore. And so he quits the law, and he's like, I'm just going to be, you know, guy that goes around and cons people and like kim plays into it and they go and they scam the stockbroker dude who was in breaking bad and they like scam him into just buying them a bunch of drinks Mm -hmm. i love that i love that whole bit it's so long it's like a 10 minute thing of them just like setting it up by trying to like do that con of like we are like the whole the whole thing is like it's such high stakes of like they're telling this dude he might make like millions of dollars off of them and like it's such a low reward they get like $200 worth of tequila out of him. Like Mm -hmm. they put in so much work for such a little reward. It was just such a bonding moment for them because they just had pure happy fun. And it also uh, is something that sets up their dynamic for the rest of the show, which you don't realize when you're watching it is that they love having this kind of fun and they will take it too far. Exactly. Yeah. It's no mistake that the first time they kiss and we see them actually enter that romantic relationship is right after they run out of the bar and get away with it of pulling their first con together. Yeah. So, yeah, again, brilliant, like, foresight into what they were going to do and how they're going to build up this relationship. Yep. Um, So that scene sets up their relationship. And then later there's a briefing at Hamlin McGill where all the lawyers for the uh, Sandpiper case are going to sit down. They're going to talk about it. And that's going to be a really boring scene because they're talking about legal stuff and legal stuff is boring. And the showrunners know that. So they make it interesting by not making it about that. There's like an extended part before the meeting takes place where she's like putting out the name. uh, She's setting out like the name plates and putting out all the booklets for the briefings and stuff. And then she swaps two booklets before the meeting starts and you see that she's sitting next to uh jimmy so she swapped it so that she could sit next to jimmy like it's like little things like that like them playing footsies under the table during that meeting like it's little things like that it's like it's very high school but it's just it's cute like it's like it's like things that like you would do if you were into someone and even as an adult you know it's innocent it's harmless and it's it's cute and i think Mm -hmm. it's fun to watch they do a bit where uh he stays over at Kim's house and he needs to brush his teeth. And so he uses her finger to brush True. his teeth. I thought that was very cute. How many brushing teeth scenes as well between yeah, these two? Quite a bit. Uh, just the scenes of them watching old movies together where they're just sitting on the couch and just like making jokes about the movies because their chemistry is just brilliant in the show. And I think it works really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a part where Kim is upset at Jimmy. I can't even remember why. He's she's upset at him. I think it's when he switches the numbers on the case on the on the uh, what's it called? Mesa Verde case. He switches the numbers and she finds out about it. So she's upset at him. And it's uh, he sings the Bali Ha song on her answering machine. <laughs> it's like a very extended message on her voicemail machine of him just singing that song. Right. I really like that. 
And then the last thing I have was she gives him the mug that becomes very important to the yeah, show. And I liked it from the get go because it's just so symbolic of like his hit. Like he puts Kim above everything else when he like he has the lawyer job he's always wanted. He has the car he's always wanted better than his Suzuki esteem. And then he destroys the car so that he can put his cup in the cup holder. I love it. Yeah, that was a great scene as well. I fucking love it. Yeah, little moments like that. And that's a another thing which we'll get to when we talk about the switching the numbers. But the show really goes in with the yeah. visual storytelling and using different things like the pinky ring, the what is it, the Zafiro and Neho? Yeah, and Yeho. Um, Zafiro and Yeho. Using Tequila. the like stopper for that. Yeah. Um that becomes a motif as well, a visual motif. The mug, of course, and that's what you just said, like something like that, where he's in this role where it should be. He's like now pretty much a big time lawyer, like he's on the partner track yep. at uh, Davis and Maines. And yet he's not happy entirely because he wants Kim there. So he breaks the car, like you said, puts the mug in there. And then later he just gets fed up with being at Davis and Maine and he starts intentionally trying to get himself fired uh, so that he can still keep the money like i guess the severance check or i forget exactly what the details were but that's one of the best montages when he's trying to get fired it is the best montage i think and i was going to like with the cold opens and with the montages i was going to try and like keep a tally i ended up not doing that yeah but it's so hard there's, at the so top many. Of the, there's so many but at the top of the list the inflatable wavy thing where we're like oh uh, yeah i love that having, that's where he gets the idea to dress zany is the inflatable yeah. wacky two man but seeing that the song going over it and yeah him the first time that he's donning these like colorful uh, button ups and ties mm -hmm. and all of that. So I really him, enjoyed that. Him clogging the toilet with a giant shit. That <laughs> and was like, crazy and be like, too. guys, <laughs> we're trying to be in mind. That was me. And he goes, I didn't want to know Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so him good. Him getting bagpipes. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Using you know, the Breaking Bad really did relax. a lot of good montages, but they were always related to either cleaning up crimes or, or the making cooking. meth. And I and it's Which like they're all great. They they are great, but it's like you watch it once, you've seen it all. But then Better Call Saul takes those montages and they make them fresh and new every single time. You watch them like doing a con or like doing a crime, and they take so much time with it, and you don't know where it's going. That it's just it's all about the meticulousness of how hard these people are working. Mm -hmm. at doing these cons or these crimes and it's just so thrilling to watch even though it's taking forever him trying to get fired is just so great yeah amazing stuff uh i want to also go back to the coca bola desk <laughs> um with kim and again how they're able to foreshadow slip in kimmy that would come to fruition later in the series mm -hmm. in the because you think like in season two and they're falling in love and whatnot and they did that first like harmless con and you think knowing that she's not breaking bad somehow she has to get it taken out of the picture you're thinking okay at some point jimmy goes too far yeah i'm saw good and she's gonna leave and you think that's that is exactly gonna be what you think is gonna happen yeah like the that's exactly how they set it up too that's exactly. what's crazy spencer because i watched i watched the first episode of season four with spencer before we started recording one of the things he said to me was he can usually predict where shows go but this is like the one show he can't predict. Like it always does the exact opposite of what you think it's going to do. Mm -hmm. And this is like the biggest example of it, bro. And like the, it comes to a head in, in an episode in season five and we'll get there. But 
bro like because yeah, even you before you had started watching the rest of season five you were yeah. like this is i it. started because like the apart. end of season four i was like oh yeah season five is gonna be where he takes it too far he becomes saul goodman and she just can't stand him anymore and that sucks mm-hmm. and i was like i can't I, that's gonna suck to watch and then just the exact opposite happened i know they pull the full reversal but an interesting thing in retrospect because i had skimmed through my notes a couple days ago um, but when i initially wrote the note in season two about Kim learning that Jimmy falsified evidence with the pie sitting video to get the dude that had the Bro, baseball cards stolen. To I get fucking him love that. <laughs> yeah, the, great... what is it called? Squat cobbler. Squat cobbler and many other <laughs> names that he mentioned as well. Uh, a lot of aliases for that one. But when they're sitting down eating the like leftover pies, uh, and he's saying that that oh he falsified the evidence, and you hear her go like, "What? You did this? Why? Like you can't do that." Initially, I'm thinking, oh, okay, so this is where we're seeing where her moral line is. And she thinks this is bad, like falsifying evidence. That's no good. And again, that's going to be something that later down the line is going to come back and cause them to break apart. But she never was against falsifying the evidence or doing that act. It was the fact that there was the risk of him getting caught. Of him, like, what if they find out? She keeps phrasing like that. Like, oh, how could you do that? It's Jimmy. What if they find out you'll get disbarred, blah, blah, blah. So it was she always had that little piece of her that was not morally against doing these bad things or pulling cons or misleading people or falsifying evidence. But it was always the possibility of getting caught or having those consequences yeah. get too massive and affect too many people. And as we see later on, that's when she truly draws a line and has to break it apart. Yeah, I never so, thought Jimmy was a very careful person with his cons. Like, he gets caught fairly off through the course of the show. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Kim is the kind of person who wouldn't make the risk unless she knew 100% she would not get any consequences. And I feel like, because there's a, there's a part in season, I believe it is season two, where they have the the Wexler-McGill law offices, and she's like, He's like pitching it to her and she's like, I don't want to work with you. I'll work in the same office. It's not Wexler and McGill. It's Wexler and McGill. We're mm-hmm. the same offices, different practices. And I think that's her being like, you can do what you're doing, but I can't be involved because at some point I know you'll get caught and I don't want to be a part of those consequences. So it's not a like in, initially you're like, oh, she doesn't want him to commit these crimes. You're like, no, she doesn't want to be involved in him getting caught for these crimes. Him doing it is not exactly. the problem. Him getting caught is the problem. And like, I'm going to skip ahead quite a bit, but in like in season six, when she gets caught for stealing the earrings as a kid, she learns from her mom consistently that the crime isn't the problem. Getting caught was, and she got rewarded for getting out of it. Her mom got her the earrings. Her mom stole it and got away with it. And so she's learning these lessons of like, you can get away with it. As long as you get away with it, it's okay. Right. Exactly. And just just peppering that in is so good. Like it seems like something that like maybe they wrote these like seasons two and three without thinking that this is where it was gonna go. But then realized as it went on, like Kim needs to be just as much a part of this con, of these cons, of these situations as Jimmy is. Like it might have been like a little thing they were like peppering in a little bit, but then they decided to go full on with it very later on and like the little peppering they did really worked to to 
really season it well. <laughs> if I could, very if true. I could lay into the metaphor a little bit more. Indeed. Uh, to go to another part of the show in season two with Chuck, we get a lot of reinforcement about their dynamic and Chuck feeling that sense of insecurity in terms of Jimmy's likability. Oh yeah. We see with his wife, Rebecca, we see them coming for dinner. And of course, Chuck is like warning Rebecca. Oh, he's kind of a lot. Oh, he's over the top. This, this, and that. But then over the course of the dinner, Rebecca ends up liking Jimmy. Yeah. Getting uh, caught up in his charisma. And what's more, Jimmy is just firing off all these lawyer jokes. Oh, yeah. Insulting Chuck's profession. The one thing that he can feel that undeniable sense of superiority about. And yet Rebecca is laughing along with Jimmy at these lawyer jokes. Yeah. And then I love the cherry on top is that at the very end of it, he tries to be charismatic as well. And he makes a lawyer joke, too. And it just falls flat. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And he just sits there in the dark as she goes to sleep. And he's just like, God damn it. It fell mm-hmm. flat. Like he tried to, he tried to loosen up. He tried to to put on a little charm and just do the Jimmy kind of thing, and it just didn't work because he's not that kind of person. Exactly. And then another uh, moment where we see that later on is with Chuck and Jimmy's mother. Dying. Oh God, I love that scene. She's about to die. Like the harmonica's about to hit the flat line. Jimmy's not even there. He went to get sandwiches, and she calls out for Jimmy. And Chuck goes, "No, no, it's me. It's Chuck." And then she goes, "Jimmy." And then she dies, just dead. And then he's sitting uh, outside. Jimmy comes back, learns that his mother just passed. And he goes, did she have any final words? And he says, no. Bro. Uh, he didn't tell her, or he I didn't tell him that her last words it. were. Oh, God, dude. You got to understand why why Chuck's my favorite character. Because he, in my opinion, of all the people in this show that are like main characters, I think he does the most despicable things. Like, I think he just, he really you can't believe that. I mean, I believe it. He, is, say, he is the most despicable motivations. He just despises Jimmy. I don't know about that because it's definitely one of those things where you're like, oh, that's awful. But you can understand entirely why he's doing those things. And I understand completely why. Like, I completely understand why. Action. For sure. But he, he does things simply because he despises Jimmy. Like, like Jimmy does things to get back why at he Chuck. Does like, he does despise elements of but Jimmy. like there he are reasons well there are but, reasons why he despises jimmy but the reason he does the despicable things is because he despises jimmy like the the reasons quite. are because he's jealous because he's annoying he's, doing he's frustrated actions i'll agree he's like doing very spiteful actions but i don't think it's because he's like oh i hate jimmy and i'm gonna do this to dig in the heels on him no he's doing because in a way he's trying to protect himself and he doesn't want to give jimmy who has everything is able to make anyone like him including chuck's own wife he doesn't want to give him like anything more than he already has or any additional satisfaction that Chuck himself isn't able to get. And again, because of that jealousy, that's why he does those spiteful actions. It's not purely because he's like, I just hate this person. I'm like, and so I'm just going to be hateful. I think you him. and I are saying the same thing. You're just being more specific. Well, yes, but I think that's a no. And I do think it's not the same thing as a distinction because people can go out and do things just because they don't care about other people or they hate other people. Also, I never said the word hate. I said despises. He does not like Jimmy whatsoever, and it's because of the things you were saying. Right. And because of those things that he's saying, he does not like Jimmy. And because he doesn't like Jimmy, he does things intentionally. Sure, but I'm saying it's born out of problems within Chuck himself. Again, I'm saying that as well. I'm saying the exact same thing you're saying. Yeah, I think there's still a distinction. You're pointing it as like, 
despising Jimmy is the source of the actions. It, it goes deeper than I'm that. saying uh, A then B equals C. You're saying A plus B equals C. I'm saying I because think of insecurities within Chuck, he despises elements of Jimmy. Yes. And therefore will do some of these spiteful actions in order to protect pieces of himself, Chuck. That he's I'm not saying the exact same thing, Ryan. No, 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 no. Yes. It's not. Because I'm, t- there's a distinction there. We'll leave it up to the listeners to see we're going in circles. Listeners, if you want to let us know if we're saying the same thing or not, you can email us at theboxofficeshowpod at gmail.com. Please do so. Again, I don't think they're quite the same thing. I think there's a, <laughs> a meaningful distinction in saying it. whether it was because he despises Jimmy or it's something Bruh. deeper within himself. But still, it's another thing that points out that piece of their dynamic which is very well done and it punches you in the gut as it happens because you're like oh as a quick sidebar because i just said bruh in response to what you were saying did you see that in she hulk she hulk says something and hulk goes bruh (laughs) no i did not Uh, but i liked your sidebar in talking about she hulk and in better call Saul, two legal oriented shows yes of course i mean i'm not going to talk about anything that isn't legal i'm waiting for a few good men to get tied into this oh yeah eventually yeah nice uh okay so let's what else do we have oh i wanted to point out kim smoking in stressful times a lot kind of like skylar white i don't know what it is about yeah. the writer's room they like their blonde women smokers uh good for them we also have the mesa verde stuff and the switching the numbers so instead of 1216 one after the magna carta it is now 1261 and they do that a couple times in the show as well they love their swapping the numbers they do that with when Mesa Verde is trying to kick out the one, the squatter dude on his mm-hmm. uh, home. Yeah. And they do the same thing there. That's uh, also so a great montage. It is. It is. Yeah, that was great. The construction worker dude just like, come on, you believe this stuff to the cop. And then you know who that is, right? The construction worker. No, let me know. It's John DiMaggio, the voice actor. He does. Uh, he does Jake in uh, Adventure Time and Bender on Futurama and a bunch of other stuff. Gotcha. I didn't That's recognize weird. him at first because I never see him do anything live action. <laughs> but like I recognized his voice when like at one point he was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, I've heard that before. Yeah, I was not able to spot it. But yeah. Uh, and then. I think that whole the follow thing, that was another jaw dropping moment when Chuck hit the side of his head. Oh, yeah. Getting overwhelmed with all the electricity stuff. I was like, oh, my God. And then like the end of that episode is him watching and him just like not knowing what to do. I know, yeah. Do I go in and let him know that, like, I had some part in this? Because why else would I be here? Um, And then, oh, it's talk about gaslighting and whatnot. Like, come on. You're saying Chuck did the most despicable actions and whatnot. We'll talk about in season three what Jimmy did, which I think is just truly, that is truly spite. Like, that was just pure spite for Chuck. But when you see Chuck, after going through, like, the hospital bed, and he's trying to tell them, like, stop, turn the electricity off, and they just aren't able to do it. And so he's just getting all this pain. And then when he's sure that he's caught Jimmy, the I forget his name, but the dude that comes in from HHM that used to work with Jimmy in the mail room, he lies on Jimmy's behalf. And so Chuck is just getting gaslit the whole time about whether or not Jimmy was actually involved. And then yeah. he has to take measures into his own hands and force a confession out of Jimmy. And he taped it. And that was good too. When he had a very good season finale, that's a mm-hmm. very good cliffhanger. So, because you think he, again, you just think he's crazy, and then 
boom. And then you're like, what is he going to do with the tape? Like, what is he going to do with it? How could this possibly come about? Right. But uh, yeah. There. And then with Mike. Season two. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the Mike stuff. stuff. That I also thought was good development with how we had to work with Nacho in order to put Tuco in yeah. jail. I love the one-two buckle Mike shoe con where they just get Tuco mm-hmm. to beat him up. Yeah. And that I love that cool. that's an example of him. He's willing to bend the law to do what he wants, but he's not just going to kill Tuco. He won't do right. it. But he also pointed out like there's reasons why he wouldn't. Yeah, of course. But I think the, the deeper lesson we know of is that he wouldn't kill him even if there was a good way. Like, we don't think he would really. Right. Until we get to the end of season two, when he's really willing to put a bullet in <laughs> Hector Salamanca. Because Hector really? Salamanca is a bad, bad man. And he's like, this is him pushing his limits. Well, yeah, we see. So, yeah, I don't think he would have killed Tuco just because there's no like real emotional stakes in it for him. But when he mm-hmm. is on a quest for vengeance, he will try yeah. and kill some people. And we learned that when yeah. he stole some money from the Salamancas doing the whole like uh, with the water hose, putting the spikes in it to make a spike strip, stole some money. Yeah. But then a good Samaritan came by and later got killed. And that's partially Mike's fault like he said that stuff into motion and so now he wants to kill Hector in order to absolve himself of some of that guilt that he's feeling which again is reminiscent of what he felt with his son when he ended up dying because of actions that he had set in motion and he's not able to do it which is very fascinating and then he gets caught up into the larger game with Gus in season three so let's talk about that by the way so the Los Poyos Hermanos reveal so amazing. Good. It's so amazing. I love the entire build up to it of him not only driving the car back, dismantling the car for like a good five minutes, just tearing it apart till finally finding the tracker in the gas cap, reverse engineering the, the tracker, tracking the other person with that tracker. And then finally, finally, like it, it like it shows like not only how good Gus is at what he does, how much work it would take to actually find or no, I'm sorry, how, how good Mike is at his job and how hard it would be to find Gus. It, like, it like layers that in really, really well because the introduction to Gus in, in Breaking Bad is that he's hidden in plain sight and that he would be impossible to beat with legitimate reasons. Like, like to actually tear him down legally would be nearly impossible because he's covered all his bases. Finding him would, would be very, very difficult. And we also know Mike is a god. We know he's a legend. <laughs> We know he's the best. And True. so the the fact that he's had to put in this much effort to find Gus, but still find him is not only believable, but it gives them both really good credibility of like being the best at what they do. 100%. And so I love that whole bit. And also the Los Pogues Amano reveal with the score is just awesome. I know. That's just so good. It's just so good. Then... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's just like it just pulls back and it's just a chicken restaurant sign. I know. And like you, to anybody, like I remember watching that watch episode and I was like, I was like, if you hadn't watched Breaking Bad, this would mean nothing to you. You would be so confused. You would not know why it's this intense. But us, the true fans, were hyped. Exactly. And that also, it speaks to another thing that the writers do in the show is they're willing to just give us practically a whole episode of just Mike with no exposition, no exposition whatsoever of him just doing things just going through his process and then building up to whatever the real is, which of course in this case was Los Pollos Hermanos, which is fantastic. Yeah. But 
the fact that they're they know at this point that they've established enough goodwill and enough interest in Mike and what he's doing that we're going to just sit and watch for an episode of him just silently going through doing all these tasks. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really lean into show don't tell as much as possible. So, oh yeah, it starts to lean into that a lot more starting in season three. Every once, I think I mentioned this to you in private when we weren't recording, but better call or breaking bad is a very show don't tell kind of show where it's like they spend a long time doing something and they're not going to tell you what it is and then it happens and they're still not telling you but they're just showing it to you Mm -hmm. and then better call Saul for me was very opposite at least in seasons one and two because jimmy is just such a smooth talker all he does is talk he talks and talks and talks and talks so it's very much talk but don't tell where yeah, he's, me, he's saying so much, but it, it isn't what he's actually trying to say because he, he's just lying. Right. I think there's elements to that for sure. But I think Better Call Saul goes even harder into like this process oriented, either like montage or sequences. Oh, for sure. Is, like it, it goes all the way. What the character's doing until like at a certain point where it's finally revealed to us. Yeah. Uh, but like to give an example, like for happening. like Jimmy in like season two, when he's doing that firing montage, you don't know what he's doing, but he's very loud and he's very talkative about it. And he's just saying everything and just talking nonstop about what he wants. And you just don't know what it's building up to until, you know, he gets fired. Like you kind of have an idea, but he's definitely just like talking his way through it as being very loud and very like lying. Like the another example is in season one when he goes onto the bus and he's talking to all the old people. And he's like trying to convince them to come down and, and uh, join the class action. That's it's just him pitching it without actually saying what he wants to say. It's him conning them with his words, right. which I think is a great thing for Jimmy. And then as we get more into the Breaking Bad world as the seasons go on with Mike specifically and with Gus and all that world, it becomes much, much, much more show don't tell. Right. I would agree, though, that, that definitely firing montage. More. Is show don't tell. It has elements of dialogue in it, but it's still overall the show don't tell because we're finding out as it goes what's actually happening. Same thing with the him switching the numbers. That thing is also well. We know from the get go because he. Well, we, we know, know from the get go because the guy says you know doing something. You won't to it, get the retainer exactly. if you don't get fired. He says you well, don't yeah. know. You're not going to get the retainer unless you get fired. So we know exactly what he's doing. But it's like, how do I put it? Like, we know exactly what he's doing when he's trying to get fired. We know he's trying to get fired as he's doing it. Mm-hmm. But we don't know, like, what's the way to put it? Maybe it's not the best example. I think the bus is a better example, if I'm being honest. Because that's yeah. him doing the con of him saying the opposite of, or saying what not, so coming out and saying what he wants, but getting it anyway. Right. And he's using his words to do it rather than actions. Agreed. Jimmy's very much more of a words instead of action guy until he's committing a crime. Like when he's trying to break into the place with the one guy to steal a little doll or when he's switching the numbers on Chuck. Like when he's actually committing crimes instead of doing legal stuff, he just shuts up and he starts doing the crime. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, again, the overall <laughs> pattern of the writers is to lean into show don't tell a lot, even though there are a lot of yeah, great sure. moments of like where people are misdirecting with their dialogue, which I agree with a lot, of course. Um, Another show don't tell moment is the whole peeling off the tape, which is really cool. You see in the first episode, Chuck is showing him the very careful, precise method to take down the tape uh, that's holding up all the like space blanket padding stuff. And then we see later on in the Wexler McGill office, Jimmy is actually using that same technique. But then when he gets mad and 
something about uh, Chuck, I think, is brought up. Then he just starts ripping it in his own way, right? Doing the yeah. loose option instead of the more methodical, careful option that Chuck would tend to go for in life yeah. and in tape pooling. So a great character uh, showcase as well in just those tiny actions, which again, this show is chock full of it because these writers are brilliant. They're fantastic. Very, we very, also get very good writer. Uh, a lot of Breaking Bad stuff included. We got, I mean, not just Gus, but we get to see a brief encounter with Saul, which I think is what, like, the only time they ever actually encounter in the entire series. Who? Gus with Jimmy. When do they interact? Oh, yeah. With the trash can. Exactly. Yeah. I think you're correct. Yes. I think that's the only time they've ever been in the same room. Indeed. So that's pretty cool. Um, but then we also get. Don Eladio, we get Lydia, which was something I was not expecting. We get uh, so the whole Madrigal as well. We get references to the laundromat that's getting bought. Francesca, Saul's assistant, comes in. I think we also get Gail Bedecker this season too, right? Or is that yeah, a little bit? We do, yeah, just very brief encounter. So they give us a lot of like cameos and reintroductions to these characters. Um, So that's pretty interesting. We also see with Nacho, him getting pressured by Hector to use his father's store, and Hector is still like mobile, still walking around at some point, and so we know it sometime soon. He's going to have to end up in that wheelchair, and we're going to have to figure out how that happens, and of course, mm-hmm. it is through Nacho, and again, another like show-oriented sequence where he's training himself, basically, to oh, yeah. uh, switch out the, the pills uh, in order to what exactly was he trying to induce a stroke? Was that like always the intention? With yeah, that? it was something like that. Where he was a stroke a... would kill him. Yeah, something like that. Because he has heart problems, he was hoping that he could block, block those arteries or whatever, block those that, veins. Yeah, so we get a lot of that, um, and then Mike, of course, getting involved in that as well. He does essentially the same thing with Nacho with Tuco, awarding him against like being too overt. And trying to take down Hector. Uh, but What's the third? Sorry, this is another side note. What's the third blood vessel? It's veins, arteries, and capillaries. Thank you. Jesus, that was killing me. All right, go ahead. You're welcome there, buddy. Uh, okay, so <laughs> the... Where was I? Okay, yeah, so Mike was helping <laughs> Nacho with that. But the, I think, best part of the season... Mm-hmm. undeniably falls on the legal side with Jimmy and Chuck all culminating in the episode chicanery. Yeah, very early on in the season too. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, yeah, it was the fifth episode. I like that they do that though. They they bring out these big epic moments, but they do it early on in the show so you can really spend time with the impact. Yeah, with the fallout. As opposed to showing it at the very end of the season and then waiting for that fallout in the next season. Uh, except for the end of season three, which we'll get there. And I guess the end of season five. They do a little bit of both. Well, they do the cliffhangers there. But yeah, for the most part, something like this. Yeah, they wanted us to see the fallout in the rest of the season. It was important mm-hmm. that we got to see that. But this is that certainly... then builds up to the cliffhanger at the end of the exactly, season. Exactly, yeah. Um, so it's, so... Like a, it's like a big impactful moment that builds to a cliffhanger. Okay. Got Indeed. It. And this one, I mean, is the ultimate fracturing of Jimmy and Chuck's relationship. I love that whole episode. It's one of the top episodes for me. Yeah, it's and great. Certainly at this point in the series, it was number one. 
and it has stayed in like the top three even until the end it's just so good because we get a lot of the like the same what we were talking about before of we know sort of what they're doing like they let us see Huel run into chuck and we know from our experience with breaking bad he's able to pickpocket really well so we know something was done but we don't know exactly what but we know it'll come up later and we also mm-hmm. see during the trial jimmy has other tricks up his sleeve like bringing in rebecca mm-hmm. and so we're getting these like seeds here and there of the con that jimmy is pulling but we're not sure how exactly it's all going to come together and we also see there's a lot of good moments sprinkled in and out like with kim who's representing jimmy like co-counsel uh pointing out to howard who's pointing out like oh we didn't want to have the appearance of nepotism with jimmy mcgill joining the firm mm-hmm. and then she's like oh you're worried about nepotism so hamlin hamlin mcgill who was the other hamlin and howard has to say my father and he even cracked a smile at that one yeah so I like good it was like comeback yeah shot surprise about here and there super cool um but then we finally get what seems to be the reveal is that there's a phone or it's jimmy pulls out a phone mm-hmm. next to chuck and is like oh are you feeling the side effects is this happening to you and so jimmy is be- there a phone in your pocket is there exactly. something electric in your pocket Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's doing that in order to like try and bring it out. But of course, Chuck didn't have any reaction to it. And so Jimmy's like, ah, oh, well, you got me, you got me. But Chuck, why don't you pull something out of your jacket pocket? And then he does, and it is a fully charged phone battery that Huel had put in there an hour and a half ago or half an hour ago, whatever it was. And then we find out even though we, the audience had already known in season one, like they gave us that little clue of the, um, the nurse. Yeah. She had gone in and turned off or turned on rather the electrical stuff that was with the bed. And so we saw he didn't have any reaction to that. So we had the inklings of, okay, it's not like a real physical ailment that he's dealing with. And here it is shown to everyone and Chuck, which is the craziest thing as well. He learns without a shadow of a doubt that this isn't just a physical ailment runs deeper than that it's a mental thing and it's just so good like the visual storytelling as well was fantastic like the camera pushing in on chuck Mm -hmm. as he launches into the tirade the tirade itself is fantastic so quotable i sent you oh many weeks ago a video in the chuck open verse challenge did you ever watch that i didn't god damn it i forgot about it until just now you need to, after the show, you need to watch it. All listeners need to look it up and watch it. It's so good. I'll watch it, it after we finish puts recording. his tirade to a beat, and it works so well. And the ending as well. It's just crazy. But, yeah, that whole, everything he says in there, yeah. the whole, he defecated through a sunroof. So good. I love now, the, that. now, if you're a writer, yes. and you know you want to end this season with Chuck killing himself, mm-hmm. and you write in this episode where he gets absolutely butt-fucked in court, <laughs> Yes. Where it seems like the end of his career, you think that getting from there to him killing himself would be a very easy jump. Mm-hmm. But they do the exact opposite. They take this realization for Chuck that he realizes that this is psychosomatic and that it's all in his brain, and they make it a good thing for him. Him realizing that makes it easier for him to handle it, and he starts to get better. He starts to get better and better and better to the point where, like, I think the finale episode of the season. 
Jimmy goes in and confronts Chuck again. And when he gets there, all of the appliances are turned on. All of them are present. He's playing music. He's cooking on his stove. He has the refrigerator going. Everything is completely back to normal. It had the exact opposite effect that you would think. So you think you could just wipe it away and call it done. Like, you know, Jimmy got away with it. He's going to be a lawyer again in a year. Chuck learned a lesson, improved from it, and is now doing better than ever. Mm -hmm. And then this is where, like, not even slipping Jimmy, but Saul Goodman comes out. Like, he gets so upset that he can't cancel his malpractice insurance (laughs) that he tattles on Chuck because he thinks it's going to be innocent. He like he does this thing where he just thinks it's gonna be a normal. I guess it's a, it really is a slipping Jimmy thing because he's lying about it and he's just like, I'm just gonna get away with it. It's not gonna be a big deal. His premiums are gonna go up. This is gonna be a funny prank, and that little decision leads to him killing himself because he loses the one thing that he valued more than anything else: his law practice. His law practice. You see how passionate he is about being a lawyer. You've seen in season one. Through two years of having this illness, he refuses to retire from the company. Because he's, yeah, he's always going to go back and get better. Yeah, and then now he actually is better, but he can't go back anymore. He gets forced into retirement. I know. And that... What a good way to bring this around. It was good. And also to speak to Jimmy and his character. And that was just a pure... That was a really very spite-motivated thing. thing. That was the spite movement. Just there. to screw him over. Because, like, he had already gotten his his just desserts. Like, he he had already won the court case, pretty much. He only got suspended for a year, and, and everything was done and fine. And this just reminded him of how much Chuck despises him, and he just pulled a full spite move and just totally dicked him over. And then the way that culminates in season four. Oh, I know. So good. Insane, insane. Yeah, for the rest of season he still three, just doesn't care. when he's uh, trying to like do these commercial things, because he also had all these commercial spots, and so now he oh, has yeah. to pawn them off somehow. That stuff was really fun. Uh, and then same deal with him trying to force the Sandpiper uh, class action to settle. I forget, <sighs> what is it, Ira? Or who's the main? Is it Irene? Irene, yeah, I think so. Wait, hang on, I wrote it down in my notes. Yeah, bring that up. Because this was one of the... Hang on, this is one oh, of the it is things. Irene. For a fact, yes. But yeah, manipulating all the old ladies. Correct. This was one of the cons that I wanted to write down because it just, it goes on for so long. Yeah. It's like a multiple episode thing. and it's He really goes for it. And so he goes hardcore Because yeah, this is like the teetering those lines of like, this is just so ruthless to make everyone in that uh, like retirement home hate Irene and ostracize her and isolate her just in order to force Irene to settle so that Jimmy can get his money. It's ruthless. Like, again, it's this thing of you're, you're manipulating these people for your own ends, and you really don't care what sort of emotional damage it takes on them. Yeah. And that's just, that's cold. Yeah, it's but vicious. I like that he comes around. He talks to Irene, and Irene is so distraught that he feels so bad that he throws in the towel on this, this con that would have gotten him millions of dollars. It's like, the con, it's like the biggest con he's ever done in his life. It's the biggest con he has ever done since, like, up until probably he gets involved with Walter White. Like, this is the biggest con he could possibly do. And he throws in the towel because Irene is so distraught that she doesn't have any friends anymore that it hurts him that he has to do it. So he takes the blame. They hate him instead. And he walks away without millions of dollars. 
For now, yeah. Which is for now, yeah. A great, great way that they capped it off. Like having him lead the yoga session and then he leaves and the one the woman from he David does the name that already oh, hates dude, him i love it he in. does he does the thing where he goes oh i left my mic on oh <laughs> wait guys like he like he like does the classic sitcom bit mm-hmm. so but yeah, good but he that, does it intentionally God. that was great and i also love is that being the explanation for why he no longer does elder law it's because all the elderly just hate him now yeah because of what he did which is sad because he was so good at it I know, and he like genuinely has a soft spot for elderly people. He could have just done Elder Law for the rest of the show. season six, but yeah. So that stuff was great. Let's talk about well, two things. So Kim's crash was also crazy at the very yeah. end, where she and this was another part because right before that, when Jimmy was coming in and trying to like celebrate with her, mm. I was probably the maddest I've ever been at Jimmy because what he did to Chuck, and then what he was doing to Irene. And then now yeah. Kim is like clearly in the midst of trying to do something. He's just making it all about himself, being completely selfish. Like, oh, just can you just do this thing for me? And he kept pushing so much. Yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ, Jimmy, calm down. Just let her do what she needs to do. And then she gets in the car and she crashes. Yeah. Because she's so <laughs> sleep deprived because she's working so hard, which I don't really like that. Had she stayed a little bit, maybe that wouldn't have happened. But it's not like Jimmy was looking at I don't think that's what they're going was, for. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, I don't really like that the side effect would have been maybe delaying that but it is crazy that she was so overworked and so sleep deprived with the mesa verde thing and then trying to do the oil thing as well she was just mm-hmm. burnt out crashes it's great and she's yeah. got the cast on that was wild and then the other thing is jimmy and chuck in their final conversation oh my god brutal what well, i think my season three quote is from that oh it's got to be it is. Well, first off, my season two quote that I liked really much was when Kim says, you don't save me, I save me. Mm-hmm. I love that bit. But then the season three quote is the exact one you're thinking it's going to be. It's, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but the truth is you never mattered all that much to me. So good. Brutal. It is just brutal. goes in. He takes it out. He puts it back in and twists it all the way around and then stomps on it. Like that is just the most vicious thing you can say to somebody that has taken so much time out of his life for the past two years in order to bring you like your food and your newspapers, all this, doing all the stuff where he clearly cared about you. And then all That's the bad why I think Chuck is so despising is because Jimmy loves him unconditionally and just gives everything he has to help Chuck when he really needs the help. And Chuck, after all that, can't put his own ego aside. He can't put his own insecurities aside. It still tears at him. Mm-hmm. In fact, it gets worse. It's yeah. worse because he's like, I'm so helpless. I have to rely on this guy. He's right. so despicable. <laughs> There's the other things he says in that was stuff like, oh, Jimmy, you come and do this, like uh, this ritual where you apologize, but you keep doing the same things and you keep hurting people. That's just who you are. So again, reiterating that point of like, oh, this is all you are. You'll never be able to overcome it, um, which is like an interesting question that i think the series as a whole is grappling with of consequences an inevitable decline for jimmy um yeah and what sort of influence did chuck have on his his travels down bad choice road yeah it has a lot to do with avoiding consequences it doesn't matter if you do the crime as long as you avoid the consequences of getting caught mm-hmm. that's a, that has a lot to do with what's happening very true then in season six they get a lot of consequences indeed which again is like the whole 
like catharsis of the series is Jimmy finally owning up to the things he's done and no longer running away. And in season four, we see the glimpse of how the extent to which he will run away and try to avoid ownership over the consequences of the things that he's set in motion. Because when he, when we learn about Chuck dying and Howard is distraught and is Bro, crying and I just watched he's this the reason episode. that they died. I just watched this episode with Spencer and the whole thing is fantastic. The entire 40 minutes, Jimmy is just sulking and silent. And you mm-hmm. just don't know how he's going to respond because he has this look on his face where like he's not crying. He's clearly upset about something. He's definitely not happy. It's hard to understand what his feelings are in response to this. Everybody else is wearing their emotions on their face. You know exactly how they feel about what's happening. Kim is confused and conflicted, but certainly upset and sad. Howard is distraught and clearly guilt ridden. Like they're all they're all very clearly showing their emotions, but you don't really know because especially with their complicated relationship, you don't know how Jimmy's going to react. And then, you know, I didn't write down a season four quote, but I know what it is now. I haven't rewatched the episode. I have it written down. Yeah. You have it written down. What Jimmy says. Yes. Oh my God. It's so, it's even more brutal than what Chuck says. Almost just about on the same, on the, he's like, he's learning from Chuck how to be brutal. Cause like Howard just breaks down and he's like, it's my fault because of the insurance. And then like Jimmy learns that the insurance is the reason that he killed himself. It's a little thing that was supposed to be like a prank, like a little innocent joke, like a, like a little step. It was like a stab back at him. It was supposed to be like a little stab back at him. It wasn't supposed to be this big thing that makes him kill himself. Certainly not. It was just supposed to be like a little, I'll get you back for it. If I'm losing, if I have to pay so much, you have to pay more too. Like a little, like you get what's coming to you kind of thing. Like just being like very, very, uh, what's the word? We said it earlier, uh, spiteful. spiteful and, and he learns that that is the reason that Chuck killed himself. And he just says, well, Howard, I guess that's your cross to bear. And then and just then, gets up and he's happy. He's completely normal. He's, he's no longer upset. later on too. And he's, Kim he's making coffee. He's feeding the fish. Yeah, yeah. He's just fine. And Howard is just brutalized after that. And I said, I wrote in my notes here, and again, I wrote them as I went along. So this was season four, before I had seen season five or season six. I say, you know what? I like Howard. Bro, he's I've douche, liked Howard since season he's two. He's an actual good guy. Ever since he, we find out, like when he tells Kim, and then Kim has to go to the nail salon, is like, please just take the sandpiper thing or go to Davison, Maine. Mm-hmm. She, she now knows, because Howard told her that it was actually Chuck who didn't want him to join HHM. Then, like, I liked him as well. But here, I was like, this is insane. Like, him having to bear this cross is so sad. That's why I think he is... That's why I think he's Jimmy's foil. Like, not only is he in competition to be Chuck's real brother, but, like, Jimmy is the underdog and Howard is the top dog in this legal world in Albuquerque. Like, Howard is the guy that Jimmy wants to be in, 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 like, his own way. In some way, he wants to be successful like that. Right. But Howard... From what I've seen, for the most part, almost entirely, is a very honest, straight shooter kind of guy. Like for a lawyer, like to of a lawyer of that magnitude, like like he will he will schmooze if he needs to. But overall, he's a good guy and he's an honest guy. If if not just a little too pretentious. And right. Jimmy, although he comes off very charming and likable and not at all pretentious in the slightest, he's a liar. He's a nonstop liar, pathological. Very true. So like, so like on the surface, you would definitely like Jimmy more, but when you get to know them and you get to get really close to them, I think Howard definitely has 
the upper edge here. Like Howard is a genuinely decent fellow. Agreed. Yeah. And I think that's why so many people like him so much. And, and that's, that's why, why season this one, six, season yeah. six is so devastating. Oh, for sure. But yeah, that's why this is gutting as well. Because you know, I mean, even if you still think Howard's a douche or whatever, you know that this is not his fault. Like getting yeah. told by the person who knows for a fact that he had some part in what happens to Chuck. Yeah. That he tells them, "Oh, this is a year across the bear," and just completely just avoids. The, yeah, just the way that line just, is, oh, huh. the way that line is structured. That's... Just like. The way that line structure is like you should be all you should all three of you be sharing this cross, and him putting all of it on to Howard like that is crazy. It's callous, man. It's just crazy. And Brutal. then in the following episode, Kim chews Howard out a second time. Yeah, saying, "How dare you bring up like oh, saying you need to absolve yourself of this guilt, and so you're telling Jimmy that you think his brother killed himself. Like how could you say something like that? How could you put that in his head?" So then Kim does the same thing there. So he gets ripped apart by Jimmy, ripped apart by Kim. He's just trying to do the good thing. He's just trying to confess this thing he did. Like he pushed Chuck out and that wasn't like a good thing to do. And he knew that. And it and then Chuck degraded and killed himself, which also isn't entirely his fault. Like even if even if Jimmy had not done what he did and Howard still had forced him to retire. It still would not entirely have been Howard's fault. Yeah. Like you can't control Chuck's mental health issues and like how that leads to, but like to just, to just chew him out. The fact that he, he suggested suicide. He's like, when you like, look at what he's doing. Like that is beside the point. The point is that he's confessing. He's not like, God, just callous god they're just tearing howard down <laughs> it's know. just so crazy to see howard over the next like two seasons and or like the, the rest of season four really he's just depressed he's just so like hamlet and mcgill is like on the verge of collapsing i love the bathroom scene because he, he's barely in the season the bathroom scene he has with jimmy where jimmy's doing pretty good and howard is just like on the verge of like his own suicide he's like he's like just pushed to the edge he's he's his tie is loose he's just all over the place he can't handle anything and then he gets mad at jimmy God, poor Howard. He really gets pushed to his end. And then the callousness that they have to do what they do to him in season six. God, Howard. That's why I said to you when I watched that episode, Howard deserved better. He Howard deserved so much better. And like, I knew... Ever since the show starts, he's just getting the shit deal over and over again. Him and Nacho have the Jesse treatment where they just get shit on nonstop by the other characters. <laughs> Absolutely. it's For nothing. For nothing. So, uh, so yeah, that was, that was rough. And I do like as well, Howard does get better like in the following yeah. seasons he is able to find his footing because he goes to therapy and he recommends yeah. that to jimmy as does kim and jimmy refuses and so this is another case of men will become saul goodman <laughs> instead of going to therapy <laughs> i also like the kim stuff in the season where she's no longer being fulfilled by like the mesa verde stuff if she ever was but now it's definitely getting to her and so she goes and starts doing public defender work and I love the conversation she has with the judge who pulls her side and they talk about the verdict, the plot for that movie. And he's like, Kim, there's not going to be this one amazing case that shows up here and is going to be able to rejuvenate your love of the law. Mm -hmm. He's like, go away. Or if I see you again, I'm giving you all this overflow PD work. And then the very next scene, we see her in the courthouse, still there, ready to do yeah. all this PD work. Because she doesn't need a big case in order to come in and revive her love of law. 
she's okay doing the little stuff because that's enough that'll fulfill her i love that i like that direction (laughs) i fucking love that i love that he has that whole long scene where he like really hammers that point down and he just comes back and she's just still sitting there i know yeah i think it's so great so good uh i also think it's so funny that the phones like him selling the phones that side hustle is part of the origins for better call Saul. yeah that was pretty smart um and i like like there are a lot of different things i like in this season honestly i don't know if it holds up the every season gets better than the last one trend yeah season four definitely drags i agree it does and there's so many good things i did like say this to you i think every season gets better except season four and the reason is it's it's about dealing with the loss of chuck for the the chuck characters but then when you look at the mike storyline it's fantastic i 100 percent agree with that saul i think because jimmy's plotline sort of stalls out because he's no yeah. longer doing the lawyer stuff yeah there's yeah. also no longer the chuck stuff we don't get enough like solid character development out of him 100%. so i think that does weaken it but there are other stuff, like you said, like in the Gus plotline, even when he's talking to Hector in the uh, hospital room and he mentions mm-hmm. is the coyote or whatever it is or something. The what? Coyote. Coyote. I don't know. Some Venezuelan or Peruvian. He's from Peru, right? Uh, or Chile. <laughs> Chile. Some Chilean animal. I don't know. But he does that whole monologue of that story and how he's incredibly patient. Oh, so the coyote, the which is just his way of saying coyote. I is it coyote, he just calls like it a coyote coyote, coyote. There, there was a coyote uh so that was super cool coyote are you sure i'm pretty sure it's just coyote about? but he says it with an accent coyotes eat because he was talking about some fruit that he was uh planting and trying to grow and then the coyote ate it do coyotes eat i'm looking fruit? it up right now what animal was gus talking about oh it's a coati it's a koati. Koati, okay. Okay, so I had the letters mixed up. Koati. There you go. Okay, so something Let's that's not a what a koati is. Because I was a like, what? Koati. Coyotes are climbing up. I don't know if they climbed up the tree or what. Koatis are members of the family Procyonidae in the general Nassau and Nasula. So what are they like? They are they diurnal are... mammals. They look like they look kind of like lemurs. They are diurnal mammals oh. native to South America, Central America, Mexico, and the southwestern United States. Okay, so yeah, they look kind of like a, a cross between like a little baby bear and a lemur, oh, but they're marsupials. They have, they, they have like little ring tails like lemurs, and then they've got like a little bear face. This is honestly adorable, unless you look at a picture of it. I guess no animal looks good in a picture that's like a, a late at night picture taken with a flash. It just kind of looks like a rat. It's <laughs> true, but uh, but the normal picture. Oh, oh you know cool. what? Yo, he looked it up. Yeah, it looks like a fox or an anteater, like an anteater nose, and then like a bear body and a ring tail lemur tail. Yeah, that's super cool. And Gus was able to wait for it and then choked it out himself because that's how much of a G he is. Yeah, right. it's crazy that Gus, as a child, knew what this was called. <laughs> if I saw this, I'd be like, "What the fuck is that?" Well, it's from South America. It's where he was from. So, I guess so. I mean, it's, it's from it's all like over the place. It's it, it stretches all the way up to the U.S. I bet there's kids in in New Mexico that would be like, "Hey, look at Kawati. Oh snap! And I'd be like, I'd be like, I'd be like, I'd be like, where they are? 
He says it says Southwestern United States. <laughs> if I heard Maybe. a kid said look a coati, I'd say you're pronouncing co- coyote wrong, you idiot. Yeah, apparently, yeah. <laughs> like it's pronounced coyote, you dumbass. <laughs> but yeah, so that part was good. And as you said, the whole Mike plot that was definitely the strongest part of the season for sure. Mike and oh, Werner yeah. Ziegler. Oh my god, it's him. Then, it's his line getting pushed. 100%. It's line. It's Warner pushing his line, and then having to push his own line so that his family doesn't like reap the consequences. It's him avoiding those consequences. He got too close to the game. He wasn't able to do his job in a sufficient manner that would prevent it from having to take extreme measures. And he's at this crossroads where he could take a half measure and try and recover from it, or he could take a full measure and avoid the consequences. And he's not willing to risk it, so he has to take a full measure, and. I love that this is the first person he kills in the entire show. He doesn't kill a lot of people in the show. He honestly doesn't even kill that many people in Breaking Bad. But it's implied that he's a killer and he's ruthless in Breaking Bad. And this is the first person he kills since his son died. We know that for a fact. Well, right. no. It's the first person he's killed since he's killed his son's killers. Which was his last like just murder that he does. This is yeah. the first time we see him do a murder that he that is clearly not just in the show. Agreed. Yeah. So that's just straight up murder. That whole stuff was good. Because you see, I mean, he's clearly he argues to Gus a little bit about there's another way, like we can just ship him off or just have him complete the job, like he'll stay silent, all this, this and that. But at the end of the day, Gus wants him dead and Mike decides he will be the one to do it. So yeah, he certainly got to that point where in deference to his boss, Gus, he's gonna take out Werner Ziegler and he now kills as part of his job. And that's like the big yep. threshold crossing that comes from this. So, so sad. Cause he, it's just like the whole season is him like just bonding with Werner and these German dudes. I know like his, his whole bit is like for months, they're just down there digging and his job is to like, I love that his introduction cool to the job is Gus is like, Hey, we made this warehouse and there's two houses. This is good. Right. And then Mike is like, they need to be happy. They're going to be here for two months. You don't want them to want to leave. You have to keep them pleased. Throw in a TV, throw in a basketball court, throw in a bar. Give them, every, yeah. give them everything they want so they don't mind staying. And even to that point, they still get homesick because there's no women. And Werner, a strip club is not good enough for Werner. He needs his wife. Well, yeah, he needs his And that's wife. just the one thing they can't bring in. It's the one thing they can't bring to him is his wife. And so he has to leave to do it. And it's just, it's devastating. The consequences are devastating. Agreed, yeah. Poor it's Mike. tragic that Mike, he was reconnecting with his German heritage. And it had to end like that. You yeah. See it. Uh, and then the end of the season. So we have Jimmy. He was before the, like, the bar committee trying to get reinstated. Yeah. Um, and then... This is this is my favorite season finale, other than maybe the series finale. Yeah, this this plot point was super good because it brings yeah. back the whole idea of Chuck and how he's running away from this. And so they ask him all these questions and his feelings about the law, and he's able to ace all of those questions. But then they don't explicitly mention it, but they clearly tee him up for talking about Chuck. And then he just doesn't go through with that at all like it doesn't bring him yeah. up doesn't talk about his death at all and then he gets denied and then he's going because of instant they say insincerity was an issue that was raised exactly and so he's complaining with kim 
and he's going off about this and then she's putting out she's like it has to be some reason and he's like no no it was great i was sincere all this isn't that and then she's like what'd you say about chuck and he said chuck what do you mean i, I why would i want to talk why about would chuck? I bring up chuck yeah and then she's like bro you have to bring up chuck i want to hear what you say and then as they argue here's another great quote for season four mm-hmm. he goes yeah kick a man while he's down and kim goes you're always down jimmy I was like, ooh, ooh, that was good. That's a, that's a very good one. That was really that, good. That, there, yeah, that's a pretty good one right but there. But in that conversation, they also pointed something else out about like Kim's character where he, again, keeps bringing up this office. He wants to have the shared office, which is ludicrous. And she points out rightfully, she's like, why is it that my only measure of love for you is wanting to have an office with you? And then he points out, which I think was fair, that she'll like come on down to his level so they can pull these cons here and there but then she'll go back up to being at Schweikart and Coakley which I think she's at now and dealing with the Mesa Verde case and having all these like high profile luxury roll in the mud I think he says roll in the mud specifically yeah you'll roll in the mud with Slip and Jimmy and then go back up to your your high court high rise offices yeah so that I thought was an also interesting point to bring up um because it's kind of true, but then you also see Kim not being actually fulfilled in those roles and wanting to get into the public defender work. Um, and so it's an interesting disconnect they had. And then finally, we get to see him appear before the uh, like bar committee again. And then he brings out the letter from Chuck. He's about to read it, but then doesn't. Goes on this whole tangent about wanting to live up to Chuck and this, this, and that. And as an audience, we're trying to detect ourselves whether this is sincere or not. And then as they well, come the out. The thing you get at this point is like clearly he's he's like at the end of the first episode of the season, you're like, oh, maybe he doesn't care at all. And then there's like hints here and there where like, oh, maybe he is upset about it a little bit. When is he finally going to read what was in that letter? Like what is his response to all these things? Yada, yada, yada. And then it's like you get to this point and he does like the, the thing where like he goes, I can't read this letter. And then he starts talking about his brother and you're like, wow, this is, this is his moment. This is his moment to actually finally, finally deal with his brother's death. This is the moment where he finally has this catharsis that we've been waiting for. And then you get to afterward, he comes and he finds Kim and he's like, I've been reinstated. And she's like, that's great. And he's like, yeah, can you believe they bought it? Those he's suckers. Been those yeah. suckers. And he's just, he was just faking it. He was layering it on even more he was just fully committing to the con and then he and then just the best the best way to cap it all off is the woman comes to get the paperwork and he says oh i need to get a form blah 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 and i am not gonna be practicing under the name mcgill anymore and then kim goes jimmy what and he goes it's all good man and then just ends oh god he's entering his saul era and it's so good (laughs) very true yeah that was a great way to cap that off and then in season five, we pick straight up with Saul Goodman. And he's trying to get his name out there while he's using all the like surplus bones that he has, trying to offer 50% off for the first uh, like consultation. And Kim initially is not down for it. Like she's confused. Why are we doing this whole Saul Goodman thing? But she's ultimately pretty supportive of it. Not like, all right, like, yeah, this is a great thing you're doing, but she accepts it and tolerates it. Mm-hmm. Um, then we see Mike reeling from the Verna situation and 
he's getting drunk here and there. He left Gus's operation at the bar. He tells him to take down that picture of the like Sydney Opera House because Werner pointed it out when they were there that one time. Yeah. He's picking fights, like walking down that neighborhood where he keeps getting harassed and then beats them up and then goes back in later and then ends up getting stabbed at one point. Yeah. So, yeah, he's dealing with the consequences. Um, he has a lot of guilt, clearly. Yeah, that guilt. So we see that. We see Nacho as well, also oh. continuing to try and get out. But We missed something in season four. What's that? Lalo Salamanca. Well, he was, I mean, yeah, he was. With his the role is very little. Them was yeah, his role is very little in season four. He only, he gets introduced like three episodes from the conclusion to the yeah series. But that, was a odd. that end in season four where he's trying to track down Mike and he kills the guy in the, in the, what is it? The, the money transfer station, like a super intimidating, like. Up until this point, he's just been like a smiley, kind of fun kind of guy who's just around. He makes makes quick jokes. Clearly, he's a Salamanca, so he's a little bit crazy, but he really is just like really methodical and takes his time, which is something you don't see in the Salamancas. He's really careful and really, really cautious. Very true. And but he's to just see as him, bloodthirsty. Bro, when, when the dude turns around and then he turns back and he's not there and there's just a hole in the ceiling. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> That was your live reaction to it. Yeah. And then and then he literally he he hears the footprints in the ceiling and then he just tears through it and lands perfectly on his feet and then just stands up and he's huge. Dude, that's scary. That's legit scary. And then he kills him. He murders him. And yeah. A, it's one of those things where you're like, wow, that's a really good way to show his power. And then B, it comes back in a really big way in season five, which I, I just didn't expect. I didn't think they would make it a whole thing. I thought he was just going to kill a guy and walk away because that's like a it's almost kind of like a breaking bad kind of thing. Like you kill a guy and it's just he's dead in that scene and you move on, especially for the Salamancas who leave a, a trail of death in their wake. I didn't think this dude's death would be like a huge factor in season five. I didn't think it would come back like that, but uh, right. it's cool that it does because it leads to Bagman, which is awesome. Oh, for sure. And so then, now we get into season five. For yeah. Real. And so Lalo and Nacho have to bring in Saul Goodman into the game even more than he already was um, at first to help him figure out like stuff with the crazy eight. Um, and that leads to Hank and Gomi coming Woo! back. That was super cool. So you had talked about you had gotten this spoiled for you. I did. Sadly. Stupid IMDB. On air, stupid, spoiled. <laughs> their stupid goddamn image previews had a, the, their image preview for the episode was literally fucking Hank, and I was Is like, it "What?" The one where doing? he had the hand on the window and he was showing his. No, it was like an image of him in the middle of the investigation. Oh, gotcha. Like yeah. in like the interrogation with Lalo. Tragic, but yeah, I knew or not I Lalo when I got spoiled for it. What's but his yeah, name? I knew Hank was coming. Crazy Eight, Crazy Eight, yeah. But that was cool to get to see them back together. I did have a question: Why Gomez had a goatee? Because he didn't in the early seasons of Breaking Bad. But he well, maybe he had season. it and then he cut it and then was like, "Apparently, bring it back. He said, I got to. So that's pretty funny. Um, it is the like changes in the actors is kind of wild for this. Because it's not that long since Breaking Bad. But the like Hugh, way skinnier. Mm. Victor, initially, had put on some weight. 
You're Tyrus saying had put on. Tyrus, Tyrus had put on. A, Spencer confirmed this today because he had okay. just watched season three and he he didn't remember who Tyrus was, but when we saw a picture, he remembered. And he was like, "Yeah, that dude put on a lot of weight." But when you watch season six, I think he's only in one scene in the whole season. He's back to like Breaking Bad. Like he's he's like cut. He's like jacked. Like he wasn't Breaking Bad. Like he looks right. fantastic. It's possible that in the in like the very I think he's only in one season one scene in season three or like a couple scenes because he's in the in season three when they're trading off the drugs to the Salamanca gang. He's right. in those scenes and he might have just been wearing a real bad sweater or something that just made him look really big. But I could have sworn he like gained a lot of weight, but but good for him because he he cut down to like breaking bad side like he was jacked again. Like he was in breaking bad. Which is impressive because it's only been like three years since he first came into Better Call Saul, and it's been like, like, like what ten years almost since he was last. This he was his character last, right? For He's sure. ten years older than when when he first played the character. This is weird that I didn't because Tyrus again didn't. Did you look up a picture? He looked older. I'm looking at it now, and I still can't see where he like put on a lot of weight. Because Victor, I could tell, but with Tyrus, I couldn't. So I don't know why that stuck out for you guys so much as compared to Victor. But I think it's literally this literally one scene. He's wearing this one sweater that just maybe it just doesn't work possibly. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to see like some where you could tell the aging has happened in others like Hector Salamanca still looks the same as he didn't bring bad. Yeah. Uh, Bob Odenkirk looks better than he did in breaking bad for a lot of its run. Oh. Yeah, he, wild. Looked, he looked great. Well, I think they're doing that intentionally. I mean, they got to make him look younger, and he looks. He, they also make him look. They make him look like a piece of shit in, in uh, Breaking Bad. Like he looks fucking terrible. Very true. Intentionally, yeah. But they were able to make him look a lot younger here, which is amazing. Mike, of course, you can also tell he gets older, a little slower, but for the most part, he's okay. Um, but yeah, so we see Hank and Gomez back. They're looking great. And then, dude, Howard keeps getting bullied by Jimmy. Oh <laughs> Again, my God, just pure spite, uh, spiteful actions for no reason. Throws bowling, bowling balls, balls on his car. <laughs> just because he offered him a job. I know. Just wild. He's looking out for him. And then he just has, just does those vicious things to him. And having that outburst at him as well, which was great. My man said, I shoot lightning from my fingertips. Was that your quote for season five? What was your quote? I didn't have. Oh, I did have a quote for season five. Okay, so at the in the whole first episode, he's trying to get business, and Kim is like, "Don't offer fifty percent off because if you do, it's going to incentivize them to commit crimes." And he's like, "You're right, I won't do it." And then at the very end of the episode, people are walking away, and he hasn't given away all his cards. He doesn't feel like he's going to get a lot of business, so he offers half off and starts handing out cards like crazy. The cold open for episode two. <laughs> is a montage where these guys who got one of those cards they started off by going one of them says this is this is the quote one of them says 50 percent off and then the other one says dude that's almost half <laughs> and then the entire five minute montage is just them going 50 percent off and then doing dumb shit they like run into mailboxes they get meth they smoke meth they steal things from the convenience store and then every like minute or so they go 50 percent off and they just keep going and then they pass out and they wake up in like a rich neighborhood they're covered they're like hung over they're like in withdrawals from the drugs they're like oh man what day is it and the other guy goes 
50% off. And he goes, yeah. And they just keep it going, dude. I know. I couldn't wow. believe something so ridiculous could be in Better Call Saul. Something absolutely bonkers I I like that. Great. I mean, it's just so funny. Oh, there are many, many misdemeanors. Yeah, but the Maybe. show, like, it gets more and more intense as the seasons go on. And this is definitely, does, like, but this is the most slapsticky thing that they've done. They've always had moments like that where they'll... But this is the most, now. like, this is the most gag kind of thing you could see in one of these For shows. Sure, like, like, the older. craziest. Um, so we see Kim still working at Mesa Verde, although she's splitting her time with public defender work, and it's affecting Mesa Verde. She has the... They're trying to expand... And then at one of the locations where they wanted to put up a bank or a call center, I think, actually, there's a squatter. He doesn't want to leave his home. And then that's an interesting thing as well, where he he talks to her like she's just one of all the other lawyers. And then she comes after hours to show him a bunch of houses that he could move into. That would be nice. And then mm-hmm. he again continues to chew her out as someone that just does these things in order to feel better about herself at night, um, yeah. even though... Which, yeah, it's, like, partially true. But then you do see Kim does care about, like, her clients and just regular people. She did want to help this guy out. And she shares with him that she also came from, like, not much. She never had an actual house. She was just apartment to apartment. And so if she had a home, she wouldn't want to leave it either. We see that nice, very, like, genuine human moment. And then, again, he shuts the door on her. So she has to I just think there was nothing she could say. There was convince him. So, was like, she has blind. to get Jimmy involved, and Jimmy's got to do the con. Another good montage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The so, rate, the 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 pieces of uh, Indian artifacts they find in the dirt, the radioactive waste in the dirt, switching the numbers, well, yeah. the UFOs, convincing people they are UFOs. Yeah. Oh no, not UFOs. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Putting Jesus Christ on the wall, or the Virgin Mary. It was a Virgin Mary, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and then all the religious people come to see it. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, So yeah, that was great. And then it leads to a fantastic episode. Wexler versus Goodman. So amazing. Especially because you see they like have that understanding going in. Like, okay, we're going to be able to get that settlement. She even says, like, just make it reasonable, but... Whatever it is, I'll pay the difference if you happen to negotiate it above, like, I guess the 45000 that they, uh, Mesa Verde wanted to offer. Mm-hmm. And then we come in and Saul Goodman just goes wild, goes $40 million, brings out a PSA that he had already prepared. Well, to be fair, like, the thing I loved show. about this the most is that the entire thing is Kim's plan. Like, start to finish the idea is Kim's idea that maybe she like workshopped with Jimmy, but like she got the idea from like the images that the, the PI found in Ken Wattel's office, who by Mm -hmm. the way, definitely like amped up his performance in this season. I really liked Ken Wattel in this, in this episode, particularly I thought the guy who plays him is doing really, really well, but like, It's all her plan. It's coming from her ideas, just bounced off of Jimmy. So, like, they're working together on it, but it's really her coming up with a, a bulk bunch of it. And then she's the one who pulls the rug because she's afraid of the consequences. She's mm-hmm. worried about what could happen if she gets caught. And right, Jimmy. Rich got suspicious. And yeah. He's like, oh, it's a little funny business that your mm-hmm. uh, boyfriend is coming in and doing this stuff. And so, yeah, she tries to, she goes to the nail salon as they're filming. 
PSA and is like, look, let's just let's not do this anymore. Like, yeah. let's just make the supplement happen. And, like, no, and no, no, Jimmy's no. willing to go for it. Jimmy is willing yeah. to risk the consequences because he doesn't have many consequences. Well, A, he doesn't have many consequences particularly. And B, he's always been willing to risk it for consequences. Always. Mm-hmm. That's the difference between the two of them. They'll both go far, but Jimmy doesn't care about consequences as much. But yeah, so we see that play out. He asks for like the four million, threatens him with the PSA, which is so good. And you see Kim and I forget what the other uh, like legal counsel is for Ken Wachtel, but they're trying to be like, look, let's not pay much mind to this. Here's our other options. Here we can, here's what we can do. And then he just goes out. <laughs> Uh, and Kim tries to stop and is like, please. He's like, can I just go take a piss? And she's like, oh, of course, of course. Then he leaves. And of course, goes and finds Saul Goodman and makes a deal with him. And so they won. But when Kim comes back home, she's furious. She's upset with Jimmy. And again, he's the one he doesn't get that it. ends just by that. the means. He's like, look, we did it. Like, I understand you were mad, but it all turned out well in the end. And she again is upset at taking that risk him taking mm-hmm. that risk for her as well and then just going behind her back in order to do it yeah. and then talk about the craziest end to the episode and bro. doing the opposite of what you thought would happen <laughs> oh he doesn't take it too far he doesn't take it too far he just he's just he's willing to do what she's not and so she needs an extra level of protection so she says either we can't be together because i can't deal with the consequences of your action or we need to find another way for me to not deal with the consequences of your actions, which is legal immunity, which is we get married. Crazy. It was insane. Dude, what a crazy way to end that episode. I literally went, what the fuck? I went, what the fuck? <laughs> and then I think I texted you immediately. I was like, what is happening? What yeah. is happening? That's such a crazy way to end that. And I fucking love it. Yeah. It was and so it's just cool. so sad that they, they really do love each other. They love each other so much. I know. And the reason they got pushed to get married is for legal immunity mostly. Exactly. It's so, so sad. But I love in the following episode, so it starts out with them getting married, and then they go off. Which is, it's great that they get married at City Hall. I know. And that Hugh is one of the witnesses. witnesses. Uh, So then. I was hoping it'd be Mike. That would be funny, too. (laughs) Saul gets pulled away for. You're going to go in there. You're getting married to the woman Here's you love. what you're gonna do. Okay. You're gonna go in there. You're gonna say I do. And you're gonna marry the woman you love. And then well, I guess they didn't they didn't have the rings. Yeah, he says, you're but, gonna you're gonna pull up your pants, you're gonna go in there, <laughs> and you're gonna marry the woman you love. And you're never gonna tell her about any of this. Yeah. That would have been fantastic. We all need a mic pep talk. He should do that. He should make an app where he just tells you random things in his mic voice. That'd be fantastic. You're going to go in there. You're going to tell your boss you want a raise. And you're going to say it with such confidence that he's going to give you that raise. You can tell him no more half measures. You Only want a full raise. <laughs> so You're going to say, I once knew a guy who beat his wife. And I had done too many half measures. So I killed him to protect her. Now I want a 50 cent raise or you're next. <laughs> All of that for a 50 cent raise. That's what you're going to do. So unfortunately, we didn't get that amazing Mike pep talk for Jimmy before he gets married. But uh, an amazing part of the episode, which I just love so much, was later on after he does stuff with like Lalo and Nacho 
being involved in the underworld stuff. He comes back and he doesn't tell Kim any of that stuff. Kim like tells her or tells him about her day. And she's like, oh, what'd you mm-hmm. do? And he goes, I, I got married. And then she smiles back at him and then they hug and kiss and then they go to bed. But that moment of him going, I got married and then her smiling and dropping the briefcase and then they embrace. It was so sweet. It was so sweet. It was the last sweet moment. That was they like ever the moment had. of, yeah, like the pure love. And again, it's like them getting married for legal reasons. But when they say that and they get together, they really do love each you other. You show, though. yeah, it shows they, they really do it. love each other. And then it's, you also it, see Kim say, like, for the rest of the thing, she mm-hmm. always will be like, oh, my husband. Mm-hmm. So again, she like likes leaning into that role of them. And then when they get together. divorced, she calls him his ex, her ex husband. Her ex husband, exactly. Bro, I just, I just, it's crazy to me that the rest of the show, for a good chunk of it, like, like there's bits where he'll lie to her again, but like he, she makes him promise that he'll never lie to her again and that he'll tell her everything. And he starts doing that like a lot more. Like he'll lie every once in a while, but eventually she, he'll tell her the truth at right. some point or another. Well, and it's crazy because, because like the stakes get raised so high and then like he still tells her. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, what, what are you doing? Around because after they made that promise, he gets called upon to be the bag man and so yeah. he tells her that and then she again it's she, crazy i couldn't believe he told I her i was like you've lied about such little things you're gonna tell her you're gonna go out into the promise. desert yeah i know i know he made a promise know. but i was like blown away that he actually committed to it i was like jesus christ you're telling her this and she's okay with it jesus christ i know well that part was crazy as well she wasn't like oh my god you have to stop this i mean she was obviously like this is dangerous and scary but she's like okay i'll come with you like yeah, let's go he do was this like, together he was like no 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 he's like absolutely not um so that's super cool. So he's getting like called upon to be the friend of the cartel. That's what he gets told. He'll also get a bunch of cash for it. So he decides to do it. And this episode, Bagman, another one of the top tier episodes. Dude, so Just good. Amazing. So amazing. The the way it all falls apart, of course, when he gets the money from the twins. I think that's the only time Saul saw the twins in the entire two series. He really meets just about all the Salamancas, except for Hector Salamanca. He meets sure. all of them. He meets the twins, he meets Tuco, he meets Lalo. And Hector's the only other Salamanca we meet, and I don't think he meets Hector. I think he's the one who meets the most Salamancas, if not Mike. His Salamanca count is high, yeah. Very true. So he gets the bags from them, and then he's driving back, and of course he gets stopped. And then <laughs> he's about to get shot, but then a sniper helps him out. And of course it's Mike fantastic so good and then the car the gas tank got shot out it's been leaking so they can't drive anymore and they have to abandon the suzuki which is crazy the suzuki esteem rest in rest peace. in peace man but he's Dude, able to save the mug before he goes these shows are such legends for picking really shitty but really iconic looking cars to to give these characters the pontiac so- aztec bro the rv the suzuki esteem what's the little red car that jesse drives for the bulk of breaking bad I'm not sure exactly. I don't know either, but dude, so so iconic. Very true. You love that. So they now that Pontiac Aztec is the coolest thing. It is. It's iconic. They have to walk through the desert, staying off the main road so they don't get taken down by the one guy that got away. And it's just a beautiful episode. So good. Not just for the Mike and Jimmy relationship, building that out, but we get the sprinkles of the shadow of Chuck looming over him where he refuses the space blanket at night, even though that'll keep him warm. He says no, because that just reminds him of Chuck. The stuff with Kim and Lalo 
also insane because again at this point we don't know what the ultimate fate of kim is going to be like there's always that possibility that she gets killed somehow during the or gets taken away by the drug cartel that's the scary thing about season five is like saul being involved in the drug world and saul being involved in the legal world have been very separate up until now they're and now they're colliding in such a tremendous way that even kim is getting wrapped into it and you know that one way or another she's not in breaking bad so what if kim died i would have been let me tell you i would have been distraught if kim died kim (laughs) is my favorite character that i don't hate Because Kim is just, she's literally the best. She has such good character development. She's so believable. She's so authentic. Yeah, she's so nuanced. It's, it's so, her, she is just complex. as tragic as, as Saul. It's just. Because she, again, we see she has the same sort of instincts as Jimmy. But as you yeah. pointed out, like she does care like about the risks to a certain mm-hmm. extent for herself. But also, and this is what ends up separating them. She cares about how it affects other people. Like she carries the guilt of what her cons do. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jimmy never really had an issue with that. And so, yeah, that's why she always had that thirst for more. We heard that, like, mm-hmm. in the season two episode when she was applying for, like, Schweikart and Coakley when she had that interview. Yeah. She always had that thirst for more. And there's something about the cons that just makes her feel alive. But she always carries the guilt with them because at her core, she's decent. So that's yeah. such an interesting way that they framed her in relation mm-hmm. to Jimmy. Because again, earlier on in the show, you would expect her to be like this hard moral line where she would be like, no, we can't do this. But it, she wafts back and forth here and there. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> with the end of the season as well, seeing her really lean, lean into that even more so than Jimmy at a point. Crazy yeah. stuff. But yeah, when we see her get mixed in with Lalo and that conversation, yeah. it's also interesting that he refers to her as Mrs. Goodman. So like solidifying that link very Mm -hmm. interesting um but yeah we get at the end of the episode jimmy is on his last leg money was like flying out he gets a piece of the like cactus needle stuck in his foot which was hard to watch they really focused in on him pulling that out for like a good three or four seconds Mm -hmm. he has to drink his own urine he finally got (sighs) brought down to that level yeah so so yeah, he is as low as he could be at that point. Um, the mic yeah. gives him one of his famous mic pep talks. Indeed, yeah. You keep going for the ones. Here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna <laughs> get away from me with that piss breath. <laughs> Don't come near me. You give me one more kiss with that breath, I'm gonna <laughs> clock you. Here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna take the toothpaste. You're gonna put it on the toothbrush. And then he, you're gonna brush. He gives him, he gives him real detailed instructions <laughs> how to brush his fucking teeth. <laughs> you're gonna take down. that line of floss. You're gonna go between each <laughs> and every tooth, and you are gonna get every little bit of piss out of there, so that I can give you a smooch without having to worry about that piss. The piss. Do you? Do I make piss. myself clear? <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying to you? Otherwise, I'm gonna break your legs. It's hilarious. <laughs> but so, yeah, so he gives them that pep talk of like, here's why I do it. I don't care what happens to me, but I got people I'm looking out for, and I just need to make sure that they're made right, that they're okay. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm doing it. And then Jimmy gets up, he puts on the space blanket in order to attract the attention by reflecting the sun off of him. 
he cars uses on the ground. Him putting on a space blanket is finally him using his brain like Chuck would. Exactly. Exactly. And it's so a pretty he, little thing, but yeah. He he does that. Mike is like, oh, snap, I guess we're doing this. And then he pulls out the sniper, misses the first shot, and then hits the second shot. And when the car flipped over, dude, that it was, was crazy. so that was, cool. It, what it, a good shot. Amazing. It, amazing, man. You thought you thought the, the long focus shot of the twins walking away from the truck exploding was cool? Wait until you see this shit. This shit amps it up to a thousand. Yeah. Dude, he was really out there standing on that road and a car literally fucking got demolished right behind him, bro. It couldn't have been more than it couldn't have been it could have been more than like a hundred feet away. That's still really like intense. Yeah. Fantastic shot. And then you see them go up to it and the car is totaled, so they can't use that to get out. The water that was inside of it is destroyed. So they have to just continue walking. Like all yeah. of that is just horrible. And then to show his defeatedness, he takes a swig of that urine. That's so crazy. Cause I was watching it. And I was like, man, they're finally going to get it. They're going to get the car and they're going to drive away. And then he shoots him and the car gets totaled. I'm like, fuck. That's I know it's insane. But yeah, cause we know obviously they make it out alive and you expect, okay, that's the way they're going to do it. But then they just pull the rug out from under you and say, psych, it just gets destroyed. And then they have to keep walking. And then in yeah. the next episode, which also is so beautiful, a beautiful moment of Jimmy and Kim's relationship. He finally gets a signal. But you, before that, you see like the split screen of, him walking and her just anxiously waiting for mm-hmm. him to contact her. And then he finally gets the signal and calls her. And then we just see Kim just break down crying on the couch, relieved. She's really good at doing that. As an actress, actress. She's really good at the, the, the instant breakdown. For real. The, from, from zero to, to 100. She does it again in season six. She's really good at it. Absolutely, yeah. So that stuff is great. And I love the rest of Bad Choice Road. So now we have Jimmy once again lying to Kim. So it was a very brief moment where he was very entirely truthful uh, with her. And then him, of course, he had never been at that point of seeing like people getting shot right in front of him, like an incredibly dramatic event. And so he's like reeling from the effects of PTSD. Mike has to assure him that it's going to get better one day, which is a great thing that they bring up later in season six when he's saying, oh, at some point you'll get up, go about your day and realize you haven't thought about it yet. And then, you know, mm-hmm. okay, I've done it once I can do it again and it gets better. So yeah. that's a great conversation to bring up. Um, so that's such a cool when Lalo Nacho is driving Lalo down to Mexico, but then he pauses. And this is also one of the, those things where they don't tell you outright what's happening, but you see him say to Nacho to turn the car back around. And then they pause at a certain point and he's looking around and you're like, what is going on? I'll be honest. This is, this was one of the ones where I kind of saw it coming. He's looking, he's, he's looking for the car. Cause like he, he does that buildup of like what happened. He wants to know what happened. And he's like, the car broke down. That's all that happened. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay then. And then he like, he's like driving through. Like, it's just crazy that someone would be. It's crazy that he would have the instincts of like, he's like, did the car break down though? What really happened? Like the him like, having those instincts yeah, is very. Remember that though, and then be thinking about like, okay, where's the car? Like we should have driven past it. So then they go back, mm-hmm. try and search for it. Then the man just leaps onto the dude. Suzuki. I'm <laughs> telling you, he's fucking terrifying, dude. He's the scariest Salamanca by far. Absolutely, dude, he's so intimidating. He's smart and cunning, still as bloodthirsty, but just and he's physically powerful. Nature, he just jumped off like the little cliff onto the car. Then hops fucking down off badass the dude and he, he says the whole thing with a smile terrifying exactly lalo yeah. is in that terrifying muscle. and he'll make incredible tacos as well just insane it's also very so, attractive 
So what's the actor's name? Tony, Tony Dalton. Dalton. Yeah. Yeah. Great addition. Great praise. High praise. I think by far because previously I said Tuco was my favorite antagonist of like the the Breaking Bad universe. And I say that thinking that Gus isn't like a full antagonist. Like he kind of becomes one towards the end of Breaking Bad. But deep down, I'm kind of always rooting for Gus because I really hate Walter White. You Walter White, though, especially in the first go through of the few seasons. Like you yeah, maybe the first go through. But when I'm rewatching, I'm like, God, he's just so annoying. He's so fucking annoying. Just a little thing. Dude, in the in the season six of Better Call Saul, when they do the little flashback and he's just he's literally in the bunker with Saul and like his life is ruined and he's just focusing on the drip, we'll bro. We'll bro we'll so fucking annoying. Like but Gus is a hero. Gus is a real one. Heavy dude, Lalo is by far the best antagonist in this whole in this whole universe. I don't know if I agree with that. I still think I, I bring bad specifically is good. But Lalo is a great addition here. I think Lalo just takes it to a new level, bro. And it's I think very intimidating for sure. We'll 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 get to it in season six, but I think Gus killing Lalo does a lot for Gus's character and making him more intimidating. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. then we see Kim leaving Ace of Verde, basically on a whim after seeing the bullet hole in Jimmy's mug. So she knows something went down, and now she's just her priorities have been straightened out, and so she leaves Ace of Verde, leaves Whitecart. Starts having that argument with Jimmy because he's like, he's like, what are you doing? It's a good gig. You can still do like public defend yourself on the side. Like, let's just figure this out. You did this too rash. And then we get a call. Well, there were multiple phone calls. And then finally, Jimmy picks up as Kim goes to answer a knock on the door. And this is such a well-crafted scene. Because it, again, at this point in the show, mm-hmm. you're like, we have no... Like Lalo, we know he's not in Breaking Bad, so something's gonna happen with him at some point. But Kim also not being in Breaking Bad is terrifying. Yeah. And you have Lalo show up at the house. You have Mike calling, very concerned, saying, put this on speakerphone as he's driving there rapidly to set up his sniper position. And you have Lalo coming in demanding to know what actually happened. It's so intense, dude. Like, what a good way to utilize it being a prequel. You know which characters are in it and which characters aren't. And we as audience members who have watched Breaking Bad are fully aware that they're willing to kill whoever the fuck they want. Whenever they want. <laughs> right. They will they will as long as it serves the story, they will kill them. They are not committed at all to saving these lives. Hank, mm-hmm. gone. Bro, Tuco, gone. Doesn't matter. Absolutely. They will yep. kill them. Bro, the the what's her name? The, the second girl that Jesse falls in love with, bro, gone. Exactly. So sad. Just out of nowhere. They're just gone. <laughs> and so you're like, when are they going to start doing that to Better Call Saul characters? It's been five seasons. Chuck died. That was shocking. Yes. But that was more, that was less, you know, druggy and more the legal side of it. His death was more part of the legal side of the story and like the consequences of that. When is the drug business going to kill someone we actually care about? You know? Exactly. And is Did you this ever... that scene? Did you ever think, though, truly that Kim was going to get killed? I was really killed worried about it, and I wouldn't like it if she did. I doesn't matter how they do it. doesn't matter how they wrote it. doesn't matter if they put in all the work. No matter what, I would have been like, Kim really didn't deserve it, and it didn't serve the story enough, and I'm really upset about it. Because Kim, at the end of the day, like, well, she you deserves... Well, you would know if it served it or not. 
to me it's like to me it's like kim deserves consequences but that's taking it a step too far first a character that's that important to the story and to jimmy's character i think i was like it was like is kim's death going to be the thing that pushes jimmy to being saul and i was like that would be too intense a thing that's what i was saying for him to be Saul. like he He would would just not he would not do it he would just be so broken yeah he just wouldn't function so yeah yeah, i think like her death would be way too too much much. like he wouldn't become Saul goodman or just i don't even know what would happen to him yeah and then then the question is like we're at blame a little bit yeah like it would just be too far indeed so i'm glad they didn't regardless it was still a very intense well-crafted scene and then you have kim being the one that steps up and saves jimmy by like pointing out using her legal skills and pointing out the flaw in the logic exactly yeah and then lalo is like okay giving the much more likely scenario i love Mm -hmm. that i love when lalo goes okay and then just leaves so yeah and then in the following episode nacho and lalo finally in mexico and then the plan that gus has hatched to assassinate (sighs) lalo is about to come to fruition we see nacho again he's like trying to make sure that the innocent people that are there like the cook the hand the like maid they just don't get killed but then the people don't care at all the like for higher mercenaries that are gonna come in and do the job i also think it's hilarious during that whole episode nacho when he's just so cool calm collected he walks incredibly slowly anytime he's going anywhere when he's like with the cartel mm-hmm. <laughs> and then seeing that i suppose with every time he's just like sprinting through the house in order to get to the the fire to start the fire and create a distraction mm-hmm. or something it's just so funny to me every every time to see him switch up like that and then he comes back out and he's walking like very extremely slowly back mm-hmm. over to lalo like he didn't just set fire to house so that whole thing was incredible again building up lalo as this absolute menace who is able to Dude. set a trap with the the tunnel his i was trying tunnel. to do a count because i was like does Lalo have the highest kill count of any, like, like one to one kill count of any character in in this universe? And like, he kills five hired goons here, plus the money transfer guy, plus three guys in the showdown with Gus. That's nine so far. And then he also hypothetically kills those farmers at the beginning of season six, which is two more. So that's eleven. God, he just kills so many people. Tuco only killed one person. Gus, Gus orders killings, but he only by hand kills two people in the course of the show. Mike kills a couple people in Breaking Bad. Walt he just like kills all the neo Nazis. So oh, the neo Nazis right. plus he kills four. He kills the initial two in season one and the two people to save Jesse. Mm-hmm. Um, plus all those Nazis. Plus he or well. He doesn't actually one to one kill those people in prison, though. He just orders right. a killing. But with the neo, I guess Walt I is Walt's up there. Up. Mike has killed a lot of people because he kills a bunch of people in Breaking Bad, and he also kills all those people in Bagman plus Werner. That's also true. Yeah, yeah, so it might be Mike or Walt. Yeah, but Lalo is up there for an antagonist. Indeed, he might have the number one kills for an antagonist, unless you count Walter White as the antagonist of season five, which I do. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so the other thing, the finale of this one, again, the reversal of season four, where we had Jimmy become Saul Goodman, flash the finger guns at Kim, 
And here, after everything that's gone on, we have Kim Wexley trying to create a scam against Howard so that they're going to be able to access the Sandpiper money when it has to settle. And we see Jimmy not being okay with that, being like, you don't want to do this. You wouldn't be okay with this. And she goes, wouldn't I? And gets up, leaves, flashes the finger guns at him. And now we're left, just like Jimmy, shocked, looking at her departure, going like, oh boy. She's becoming her own little slipping Kenny. Can I ask why, in, our, in your notes here that I'm reading, you put, this is the moment Kim became Yule's <laughs> next meal. Why because, would you put that? Because that was the uh, one of the meme theories of what happens to Kim and why did Huel gain so much weight before breaking back? <laughs> they said Huel ate Kim, and that's why. Bro, it's terrible. terrible. He's big. But that's also a play on another big meme because it's always the, oh, this is a moment Walt became Heisenberg. And so yeah, because it's yeah. been done to death, everyone will put things like, oh, this is the moment X became Y, and they're just completely unrelated. <laughs> so this is a moment Kim became Hugh's next meal. That was funny. Instead of like Kim became Slipping Kimmy. So that's why that's in there. I thought it was pretty funny. But yeah. Now it's time for season six. Season six. The, the culmination is- of, of 12 years of writing. 12 years of, of, of filmmaking and TV making. 12 years of just flawlessly crafting this brilliant, dramatic universe that this whole world takes place. And who would have thought that it would have expanded this much outside of Breaking Bad? I know. In such a beautiful and well-matched way. Let's get into this final season, Ryan. Indeed, let's. So this one, I mean, it felt like three different seasons all wrapped up in one. Like there's three different distinct parts to it let's talk about the first one the major thing that happens in it is nacho and everything dealing with this man who's on the run in mexico trying to get back alive but i can't believe they wrapped that up so quick i know it was shocking to say the least because they get to a point where he and it's so sad bro his dad his relationship with zad he's trying to he does so much to, to, to keep his dad out of this business here on the show. He does so much to try and keep his dad safe and just outside of it. Like, he wants to do his own thing in this game, and his dad has to stay out of the game. But you know the Salamancas. There are no such thing as civilians to the Salamancas. They it's are true, ruthless. but even to Gus as well. Gus, like, Yeah, Gus was willing to push his line. Because Gus usually will leave civilians out of it unless he, he does, unless, unless they get in the way. Mm-hmm. He's willing to sacrifice them if he has to, but he won't go out of his way to kill them. Whereas the Salamancas are like, you're standing in my way. Boom, you're dead. That's exactly how they say it, too. Uh, <laughs> they go, the boom. Um, but yeah, the him trying to escape like the oil tanker shots when he got in there and like dipped below the uh, into the oil to hide from the twins. So good. Just the visual... Like the cinematography of the show, Better Call Saul, is off the charts, number one. And all the visual storytelling they do as well is incredible. But yeah, that stuff in particular was fantastic. Him calling his father from a mechanic shop who was helping him out. Nice poetry there. He basically says his final goodbyes to him, which is so sad. And then he calls Mike and he's ready to die. 
he's telling him, look, however you want to set it up, that's how we'll do it, and I'll die so long as my father is going to be left alone. And he gets a promise from Gus, but then insists that he gets a promise from Mike, because that was one uh, time that Mike absolutely drew the line and was telling him, we are not going to kill that guy's father as part of leverage. So he stood up to Gus in that regard, which is super yeah. cool. And then, dude, I really, oh, dude, the whole episode, I was like, how is he going to get out of it? I was like, how is he going to? Do you think Nacho, wait, at what point, like when he was captured, certainly you were like. I just thought like, I thought like there's got to be, because the whole plan they pitch is that he like, he like runs and then Victor runs up behind him and shoots by the, like in the back of the head. And I was like, there's no way he's going to do that. Like, there's no way that it's going to go that way because they would never just say what's going to happen and then do it. Like, that's not what they do. And so I was like. Is he going to find a way to get out of it? Because God knows I want Nacho to have a good ending after all he's been through. He he fully, him and Howard get, get the full Jesse treatment where they just get dragged through the show brutally. And, and like, I was like, there's just no way they end him off like that. It'd be so cruel to just get shot in the back of the head by Victor and to tell us it's going to happen beforehand too. Like, there's no way. So I thought like there was just like the slimmest chance. Somehow he gets away and like starts his life over. And so it was just that much more like like painful to watch him shoot himself in the head because I was like there because you never know what's going to happen with this show. You really never know what they're going to do. And I'm like, it would be a real hat trick if they could find a way to write it so that he lives through it. That'd be a real crazy thing. But these are crazy writers, so it's possible. And then he kills himself. And I'm like, God damn. God damn. It's just it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking that that's how he ends, bro. They build up to it so much. Mike going and getting into the safe and like pouring through the safe and adding in extra stuff to f- f- like further incriminate him, and then also paying off the girls and telling them to never come back. Dude, like just, just the setup for it was just so, so sad. Very true. So yeah, that was shocking. It was also crazy that Hector afterwards was shooting his dead corpse. Multiple, multiple times. So the disrespect. Even I, I'll be honest with you. I don't think that was filmed great. Because he's very much out of focus at this point. Because he's following Gus walking away. Yeah. And he's and Hector Salamanca is fully out of focus. And he's also a decrepit old man who can barely hold his hands. And he has a gun. So every time he fires, his whole body just shakes. And it just looks a little cartoonish in the background. And so I thought it, I was like, I was like, it makes sense. This is exactly what would happen. He would want to put a few bullets in him himself because he's pissed. But God damn, it just looks kind of funny. It just looks hilarious. But yeah. And then a great a send off, though, to Nacho's character where he was like that monologue he delivered. Oh, great acting. I mean, written perfectly so and then performed well like that's yeah. his best performance in the whole show is that monologue he gives right before he kills himself. Just so passionate. He you can feel the, the real hate that he has. The yeah, real the Salamanca hated. family. And he's also like, like it's a, you know, him really hammering down the, the point that he is the one that did it so that he doesn't, so that the Salamancas don't go after his father and be just real genuine hatred he has for the Salamancas. Exactly. Beautiful stuff. So that ended up that storyline. We also had the Lalo storyline him being a thread and then also the howard scam 
Yeah. Lalo wasn't in much of season six as much as I wanted him to be because he's in yeah. a lot of season five. He's like really in it heavy. And Lalo plays a really good role in season six. I just wish they had peppered him in a little more in some of those earlier episodes, just doing more things. Cause like we get the bit of him uh, killing the farmers, which I still don't know why he does. And then you have the bit of him trying to go across the border and he kills those two guys. Oh, look, two more. He kills those two guys and then leaves. And then he goes and then you don't see him for a long time. And then it opens up the episode after Nacho kills himself is the episode where he goes to Germany to find more evidence, which was a twist. I will say I didn't I didn't know what he was going to do when he said he wasn't going to America. I was like, well, was is he going to go find Nacho? But Nacho's not in Mexico anymore. Like that's that's going to be very anticlimactic for him. And then he's in Germany. And I'm like, Jesus, I know. I, I guess that makes sense. Oh, and then he kills that one dude who sends him the gift. He like cuts his leg off and presumably kills him. True. Man, he's brutal. So yeah, like he does brutal things in this season, but I'm like, bro, I wish he had just been in it just a bit more, just doing more things. Cause like he doesn't really show up in like a really significant meaning until the until uh point in execution. Cause that starts off with him in the sewers monitoring the the laundromat. True. Very true. But I yeah, wish we do more. Yeah, I think it was a good uh amount though. Because I just it wish he was like physically in to it him more. being very sinister and like looming over Gus especially and they're like paranoid of where when is he gonna show back up. So I think it does contribute to that. That we don't see him too much. I just wish they took his storyline that he has in those first few episodes and they broke it up a little more and peppered it in rather than giving him chunks in episodes and then not going back to him. Because you just get so drawn in by the other storylines that you forget what he's doing sometimes. You're like, you forget Lalo's there. Like, you, you go through the whole episode where Nacho kills himself and Lalo's not even in it. And you're not even thinking about Lalo, which a bit of it is kind of the point. You're supposed to be focusing on Nacho. But also, I want that threat of Lalo to be looming more. Yeah, I thought it was it was okay. You think of it a bit, you know, you do think of it a bit because you have the whole bit of Gus, like, really hiding. Which exactly. is crazy, Which the whole is, second I, house he has. That was what I was going to bring up. That's incredible. And another great setup, because at the beginning you're like, yeah. what is going on? The first the first half of the season before you get to the black and white episodes, just the, the cold opens are great. They're completely out of context from from anything you've seen up until this point and they don't make sense until you watch the rest of the episode and it's fantastic 100 percent. so yeah Best that was opens. an incredible reveal of him just having that second housing going through the tunnel in it mm-hmm. to get to the other one and then we have with the scam a lot of good stuff getting brought up with jimmy and kim and they bring back the kettlemans which was super fun to see where they're at now that was fun and they have the big statue of liberty inflatable thing that mm-hmm. Saul will end up using. They do a lot of that in season six is they'll show things related to Saul throughout it, but they don't show the scene where he goes and he gets those things. Like they show the Statue of Liberty. They show the car as one of the customers at the at the Kettleman's and they show the little black book that the veterinarian has that clearly Saul gets at some point, but they never show those scenes of like him getting it. They're just like teasing like this is where he gets it from. Exactly. You don't need to see him actually get it. You just know that this is where he gets it from. Indeed, indeed. We see 
as part of this game, they bring in some hookers and we see Wendy. He oh, returns. Yes. yes. That's super cool. Um, and then later we get a boxing match between Howard and Jimmy. Wait, first, the fun. whole Wendy thing? Dude, I love when he picks up the sign and he has to move it over. What a unique challenge, dude. Coming back, who moves the cone? Who moves a cone? And he's like, what do I do? And he pulls into the the hazard section, the no parking section, and he physically rips a sign out of the ground and just jams it. Like, like there, there's just no other fix to that to that problem. And then Howard just doesn't even notice. I know. And then the second he leaves, it topples over. Yeah, that was great. Him having to dress up like Howard again. I so love when, when they throw a character into literally an impossible, like, like a situation where like, this is impossible. So this is incredibly frustrating. What solution would I like? Were you actually think, what would I do in this situation? Like, I don't even have an answer to this. And then right. they, they do. and then they pull it off. These writers do that all the time, which is writing I themselves in the corners and figuring out how to get out. And it makes it so good because then you truly are left with only it's a such few a good lesson for realistic. a writer to learn. Really write yourself into that corner, like really exactly. set it up so that there's no way to get out, and then find the way out, Indeed. and then deal with the consequences. Indeed, yes, and that's another running theme. Like they always bring things back around. They always talk about like what would be the realistic consequences of this. So it's great stuff. Um, yeah. We see in the episode plan and execution. We finally get to see it come to fruition, which is great. What a great title. Oh, absolutely. It's so good. It's just everything. And they do that as well. Like in the titles, they have incredible stuff. Apparently, like at season two, the first letter of each of the episodes is an anagram for uh, Fring's back. Teasing is it really? Gus coming in for season three. Yeah. In the, in the first season, all the episodes end in O. Season two. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. In first season, yeah, they all end in O. Except for Alpine Shepherd Boy, because it was supposed to be Jello, and then they couldn't get the rights. Tragic. <laughs> um, but yeah, so plan and execution. We finally get to see how that happens, and it's just so clever, so interesting how it all happens. The PI actually working for Jimmy the whole time. You love to see it. And then we see Howard. Bro, it is Fring's back. God damn it. That's what I'm saying. It's insane. Like these people Jesus are off. Jesus Christ. What if and they're think, all anagrams and we never and we just don't know what the other ones are? It's always a possibility. Like with Breaking Bad season two as well, when they had seven thirty seven down over ABQ. That was also a great little thing. <laughs> Amazing stuff. They just sprinkle in all these details. But we see Howard after he gets conned successfully, he goes to their house. Probably one of the most well-crafted scenes in television. Dude, let me tell Ever you. made. Genuine chills. Like, I don't know. I'm literally, like, been terrified. More eerie. It's, it was the scariest thing. The candle stuff was a great touch, like, bringing that horror, uh, like, symbology stuff. Um, that was super cool. And then you see, out of focus, you just see this figure moving in the background, coming oh towards you. And God, it's like a dude. literal ghost returning. They thought Lala was dead. And here he is reappearing. He's so it's fucking terrible. scary. He's so scary, dude. Oh, my God. Spencer said, because Spencer's moving, he said he's going to try and finish Better Call Saul before he moves. Because he's uh -huh. really plowing through. He's already on. He's already halfway through season four. He started mm -hmm. season four today. And I want to watch that episode with him. It's so, such a well done scene. Because it's just so, it's so... It's once again the last thing you expect to happen. You've got all this build up. You're like, Howard's gonna come in here. 
Obviously, something bad's gonna happen because something has to go wrong with, even, with but... the plan that they're doing. And then separate from that, you have this drug world where Lalo's back and he's going to divert the soldiers away from the laundry to go to protect Gus Fring, and then he can sneak into the laundry and get a video of the laundry to show to Don Eladio. That's the plan. That's what's going to happen. You know that's what's going to happen. And then Lalo shows up out of nowhere, dude. He has had he has shown no interest in Saul whatsoever. Well, but here's the thing. The entire season. Again, the attention to detail stuff. When he was in the sewer, he sees running along a pipe a cockroach. And when he was talking with Kim in the previous season, he said, oh, your husband will be fine. He's a cucaracha or whatever. A cockroach. Born survivor. He sees a cockroach in the sewer, and then that's the light bulb of, oh, Saul Goodman. And I don't know how somebody who isn't binging through it was able to remember that stuff, but if they did, then you have that little Did you remember inkling. it when you saw it? Yes, because I remember the cucaracha thing, because I had to look it up, because I'm like, what does that mean? I didn't remember it at all. So I said, oh, cockroach, born survivor. And I'm like, that's a very, like, it's a great way to put, like, the Saul Goodman character, because um, he is. Like it's he's another way to put him as a slipping Jimmy. He always is he's able a to pest, but he survives. Exactly. And so I saw the cockroach going, and I'm like, "Oh my god, these people are insane!" Like that is. So when Howard walked in, you expected Lalo to come in. I did. I was expecting. Damn. Well, I didn't know if it would come during Howard, but that was also the thing of he was talking a lot. He was there a long time, and I was like, "Are they gonna? How are they gonna do it? Are they gonna cross paths? Like Howard's gonna walk out, and Lalo comes up." And I absolutely did not expect him to come in as Howard was there in the same frame. And then again, it was just so terrifying seeing him coming out of nowhere. Bro, I knew something. Something was definitely off. Because like they do the shot in the beginning when Howard walks in and you see the candle flicker. Because of the wind of the door blowing open. Mm -hmm. And you're like, this is an eerie little visual cue to throw in there. Something bad is going to happen. And I, my thought was, Howard's going to kill himself. I was like, Howard is because we we know something that they don't. His marriage is on the rocks. So A, his marriage is on the rocks, and B, he's losing his whole credibility at his job. He's going to lose his entire living. So I was like, they're pushing him to the edge here, the same way they did to Chuck, or the same way, the same thing that happened to Chuck. I think Howard is going to kill himself. And then in the middle of his speech, they start talking, and they're like, Howard, you're going to be fine. And he goes, I know I'm going to be fine. I'm fully aware I'm going to be fine. I always get out of it. And I'm like. That's not something that someone says when they're going to kill themselves. Like, he's clearly not suicidal. Right. So what's the bad thing that's going to happen? And then they they cut back to that visual cue of the candle, bro. And I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, (laughs) fuck. You know, I knew the second I saw that candle, Lalo walked into the room, bro. I knew the second I saw it. I was like, oh, fuck. And then they sit on that. They sit on that tension for a minute, bro. A minute of him just walking into the room saying, I want to talk to my lawyers, and then very slowly, in front of everybody, pulling out a gun and putting a silencer on it. In front of all of them, he just pulls out a gun and just starts building it, and then, boom, just kills him. I know. Howard, my man, I mean, if I were in that situation, I would have started bailing. My guy goes, I think I, I walked in on something here. Well, he's also very drunk. Was he at that point? Oh, yeah, he's definitely drunk. Are you sure? Oh, he's definitely drunk in that scene. He walks in and he's hammered. Maybe. I don't know. Well, because he drove. I mean, he would have had to have driven there. And then he... He would have driven drunk. He's Howard Hamlin. He can do whatever he wants. Would he, though? And then he's chewing him out so effectively, though. 
which I also think is a great point of in that speech. I think I don't think he, he's like you're right. He's not hammered, but he's definitely had a few. Maybe, but so he points. I would say yeah, a few, but I don't think he was like hammered, hammered. I think he's definitely had a few. He points out that Kim has a screw loose. That was like his exact phrasing, and says, "Oh, you guys are perfect for each other," which does a nice job in tying together the fact that oh, what you guys together did to me mm-hmm. is what is about to lead to my death in just a few short minutes. So giving that, like implanting that thought in Kim's mind of, yeah, it's the two of us together, me and Jimmy, that are destructive and led to Howard's death. That's his so whole, That's what his whole speech is about, is how he expects it of Jimmy, but he's surprised that Kim would stoop to such levels and then says that they're perfect for each other. Because like for so many, because earlier, maybe in, yeah, I think earlier in season six, he does that. He like tells Kim, yo, you're husband is throwing bowling balls at my yeah. car he's like he's like you, you want to need... figure that out and she laughs at him and yeah. he's like what the heck like she, he thinks he'll be able to get to her because she's reasonable and decent and like to him stop. that's pretty crazy but to her at this point like you're watching it as a viewer and you're like yeah of course she laughs at it look at the other things she's accepted at this point bowling mm-hmm. balls are the least of her problems this exactly. is stupid this is petty this is nothing and then you look back on it and you're like coming from howard's perspective you know him being so petty that he's gonna throw bowling balls at his car and, and bring hookers to pretend to be him and like do all these things to conspire against him. Like no wonder he felt like Kim could do better. Cause from his perspective, Jimmy's a sleaze bag and Kim is a hard worker. Like he has that impression of them clearly. Exactly. But to realize they're both sleaze bags, bro. What a, what a twist for Howard right before he dies. (laughs) I know. Horrible. Uh, and then we see in the following episode point and shoot, Another great one. We have, like at the beginning, it shows the setup. Great title. Howard Hamlin's suicide. And then we pick up right with his blood pouring out over the floor. And then, so well done. Like everything, I mean, the acting is off the charts in here. Where Lalo is telling him, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to uh, this house. Man's going to open the door. He's going to have glasses on. He'll look very nice, like a Mr. Rogers type. And you're going to shoot him. And he wants Jimmy to do it. And then Jimmy is trying to plead to send Kim. And Kim is desperately like, no, 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 don't do this. But then you see, I mean, clearly it's, he's trying to get her to go do it so she can escape because it's obvious whoever's going to be left behind is going to get taken out at some point. That Lalo is not going to just let these people live after this, most likely. So he gets Kim to go. And then she's driving there. And she's, instead of escaping, I mean, she's going to follow it through to the end. And try and get back to Jimmy. And even though we know she obviously doesn't shoot Gus, the tension of her pulling up to that door and having the gun out and ready to shoot it. And then we see Mike run up and grab her. It's so good. Yeah. Like I knew she wouldn't her. die though. I was like, Mike's gonna Mike's gonna be paying attention. Mike's gonna well, yeah. know what's up. But it's but still the tension's there. With everything, yeah. And we know at the end of the day, like what's gonna happen with the Gus and Lalo fight, but the way that it's framed the way that they build up to it, I mean, all of it still is so engaging. It's amazing. And then we see throughout the episode the 4D game of chess being played with Lalo and Gus, like us being able to pick up on the fact that Lalo sent somebody else instead of Jimmy, like initially wanting Jimmy and then changing his mind for someone like Lalo who's that cunning. Clearly it didn't matter then who was sent to finish this job. He just needed somebody sent. It didn't matter who. It's a distraction. What is being distracted from? Oh snap! The, the uh, Go laundromat, and so he goes to the laundromat, which is a pretty bold move. I mean, he had some guys on him, but 
Like, I yeah, guess, it didn't really like, work. Like, I Dude, Lalo slaughtered those dudes. That's a lot Jesus, of people that was the, brutal. It was like three, just like one shot each of them, bro. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, he's crazy. He is. He's a Terminator, man. And then we see them in earlier in the season as well. We got to see Gus go in and plant a nice little Chekhov's gun in the basement of the laundromat. And then where the super lab is supposed to be. And then we have Lalo. He's our back in, when was this? Like 2006 or four? I think it was well, like, like when, when When it takes place? Yeah. Like in yeah, the I think 04. Because the Star Wars starts in 02 and it's also just two years. Yeah. Like he was a pioneer becoming a vlogger. Oh, early yeah. On, so we could send something to Don Eladio. So he's filming that. And then we got that great conversation between Lalo and Gus. Gus standing out to him, spewing all this hate towards the Salamancas and Don Eladio. And then he knocks out the lights, runs for the the gun, the gun. able to get it, and then shoots at him. And it's just, again, the brilliance of these like show-don't-tell moments, how mm. their character informed, him walking over to Lalo and standing over him, even though he has been shot, just so Lalo can die watching Gus stand over him. And then once Lalo's dead, he immediately collapses over and is like, oh, snap. And tries to heal himself from his wounds. So good. Yeah. He had to show the dominant, show that he was the bigger man. Oh, yeah. Super so good. crazy. Now we There's get also... The... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go first. I was going to say, I was going to transition to something else with Mike and Jimmy and Kim. Yeah, keep doing that. And he gives his... One of the more somber pep talks of... Look, here's what we're going to do gonna with go in Howard. You're going to say goodbye to Howard. We're going to roll him up in a rug. I'm going to toss him in a ditch with the guy who killed him. Exactly. That's crazy to me, dude. When you're watching Breaking Bad now, all I'm going to think is Howard and Lalo are underneath this lab right now. Under decomposing. The yeah, that's They're insane. just there the entire time. Us and Victor and Mike and all of them, they knew the whole time. That there's just Howard Hamlin, esteemed lawyer, and... In a- Lalo Salamanca. Salamanca, psychopath, just hugging it out, cuddling underneath the super lab, decomposing. Crazy. So tragic. That is nuts. And the fact as well, like it's such a... Because I really, I was I was actually really sad they put Howard there. Because I was like, I was like, when he killed Lalo, I was like, God, please bury him under there. Please bury him under there. would be so badass if he buried Lalo Salamanca under his biggest success. I thought mm-hmm. that'd be so cool. And then he put Howard there and I was like, dude, you doing don't put howard there too howard deserves so much better but i'm like god what else is he gonna do he's got the the gunshot wound it has to look like a suicide god they're never gonna find his body god he said this is the story you were making for him right he's suicides and that's what it was everyone suicides suicides for years suicides everyone thought including his own wife that he just killed himself. He was a drug addict who went off the deep end at the end of his life and then just killed himself. So sad. Howard they Hamlin built it. They built and Nacho. That story. So He's good such a guy. shit deal, bro. Exactly. So then we see our like farewell scene to Gus being this long extended moment where he's in the like wine bar. Yeah. And he's... He's flirting with the dude. He's flirting with that guy, but yeah, he doesn't follow up on it. You yeah, know, 
because he's too focused on the grind. He's got a grind <laughs> mindset. That too, and he's I don't know, maybe still he can't he can't move on let... from his his partner. Yeah. So he won't open himself up to that life again. And also maybe I mean could be a moment of like charity or generosity where he's like, This person will end up dead if he's in my world. So let me let me spare him by not taking this any further. Possible. Yeah. We also see Mike talking with Nacho's father at one point. That was a good conversation. And he's trying to tell him, like, look, we'll we'll get justice and all this, isn't that? Or we got justice. I'm not sure exactly when it came in the sequence of events. I guess it would have had to be before the whole uh, yeah. Lalo death. But he he gets told by Nacho's father, he's like, look, you're just the same as them. You're not after justice. You're just after revenge. It never ends. You gangsters are all the same. Yeah. Crazy. So Mike can't even get solace for really what happened with Nacho, which again, he sort of played a part in, but I mean. He not, did, he did. I not, think he did the like best he could. Like he personally killed him and he did, yeah, he did the best he could. He if he hadn't been there, Nacho probably would have been dead even earlier. Yeah. Probably. Um, but yeah, and then lying to Howard's wife, another crazy moment where Kim just digs in, creates a new lie about Bro, seeing him Jesus. doing drugs at one point. And then also sinking in the fact that Howard and her were estranged. And then leveraging that, saying like, oh, you're his wife. I mean, if something like was going on with him, like you would have known, right? It's so vicious. Just digging the heels in. Bro, feel this like whole episode is so hard to watch. Because it's just like you know where it's going. Now, this time, you definitely know where it's going. This is the catalyst that ends their relationship. And like, it's like, God, it's just like they've recovered from so much. And you're like, how could they even recover from this? And you can see Jimmy trying to do it. Jimmy trying to to give that Mike pep talk of like, one day you'll wake up and you won't think about it. Like, we can do this. We can fix this. And then it's just, it's even sadder that Kim's reason has nothing to do with Jimmy. It has to do with herself. She, she, she drops that bomb that she knew the whole time that Lala was still alive. And she didn't pump the brakes on their scam because she was having too much fun. That's my yeah, favorite quote from so season good. six. That's my favorite one. the The fifty percent off thing is just funny, but that that genuinely is just it. Like it's such a punch in the gut because she says that she walks in the other room. We have the back of Jimmy's head, and then cut to black. Come back, he saw Goodman. That's it. Wow, which is great. Yeah. That's it. So Kim punishing herself by like giving up being an attorney, and then them having that debate, and he's like desperately trying to keep them together, but she's like, "We are bad for each other." He says, "Like I love you," she's like, "I love you too," but so what? We're bad for each other. People get hurt, which again is echoing what Chuck was saying. Like you hurt people, Jimmy, and you keep doing it over and over again. And Kim is not willing to be a part of that anymore. And so she removes herself from the situation. And Jimmy, who we have seen with the Chuck situation, he cannot process like the guilt and the trauma and all these things that he set into motion. He just runs from it. And that's what he does by becoming Saul Goodman, which a quote from Peter Gould, like the co-creator of it. He says he flattens himself into a cartoon character by becoming Saul Goodman. And he can just eternally run from the problems of being Jimmy McGill by being Saul Goodman. So good. So fantastic. And it's a great way to, because yeah, the promise of a Better Call Saul show with how goofy and fun and lighthearted Saul was in Breaking Bad, you're like, oh, this will be so cool when he becomes Saul Goodman. I love the concept of them making, like, because he's he's very obnoxious in Breaking Bad, and they're like, what if we dial that charisma back just a little bit and make him likable, and then crank it back up 
as a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Now, the next question is, what happens when in Breaking Bad, his consequences of being Saul Goodman catches up to him and he has to run away from that now, Ryan? What happens then? We get entirely black and white episodes of the man Gene Takovic trying to run a Cinnabon business, but then also trying to make sure that he's still covered from like what's going on with all, all of his assets as Saul Goodman, which he has in that call with Francesca. He learns that it's all gone. Also, here's a great line. When he's fill- she's filling him in on all the things, and she's like, oh, you remember Bill Oakley? Yeah, he switched sides. And he goes, he came out? <laughs> that was so <laughs> fun. That made me laugh so much. Um, but yeah, so he's basically all those assets are done. We learned some closure on some of the other characters, like Skyler is basically going to be okay. Like that ended up working out the deal that she had going. Huel is free. He's no longer stuck in that the room that Hank had him in. He got off. He's back in Louisiana, apparently. So we get some closure on a lot of the loose threads relating to the stuff in Albuquerque post Spring Bad. Then we get to hear about Kim. Then we have this phone call go down. We don't hear any of what happened, so we're left to wonder, did they actually talk? Did they not? Who knows? Um, before this episode, like the first of the uh, black and white episodes was him covering up the fact that the taxi driver, Jeff, I think his name is, mm. he like does a con with him, which yeah. also has a great montage of the Cinnabon stuff, yeah. um, where he's able to have him steal stuff from the mall. So now he's got him committing a crime, so now it's mutually assured destruction. Mm. Here, in the second episode, after the Kim phone call, he essentially breaks bad yet again. Now as Gene, by looping in Jimmy, or not Jimmy, but Jeff, and Jeff's friend, and now they're pulling these cons, these old school cons yet again. We should have gotten a sequel series, Better Call Gene. <laughs> I put in here, I haven't seen it's just, it's just It's just him doing like very, very low Mundane. risk crimes just stealing very petty things but it's it's the same level of intensity (laughs) that'd be cool but yeah still life and death for him because because i mean if he gets caught he's going to jail forever very true but yeah so i think so that was a nice episode like they had breaking bad which obviously related to walt and jesse having their cameos but it's him yet again breaking bad like he's fully going into leaving behind the safe life of gene and trying to protect himself now he's uh, no longer being as risk averse. He's committing these crimes again, doing these cons. He doesn't care about doesn't the consequences care. again. Yeah. He doesn't care about the consequences in any exactly. way. So what do you think of the cameos? We had a series of them. We knew Walt and Jesse were coming. And so we got that in the episode Breaking Bad. But I think it was pretty clever, as all things that these writers do, that we had follow-up cameos that we didn't know were going to happen. So we got to have the like understanding of okay they're coming back so we don't have to like us this isn't that but we mm. still get the surprise of seeing them in the final two episodes when they do appear again but for that first uh cameo which is calling back to the breaking bad episode better call saul where we first get introduced to saul goodman what did you think of those cameos and seeing our boys back i liked it i had Did's a very it? good time i like seeing the other side of it i love that you know that realization of how intense that probably was for him if he really does think it's Lalo. Like, that really that really ramps up that intensity for him. And they, they also ramp up the intensity of the scene because of that. 
Exactly. And yeah, paying off that line of, oh, it was Ignacio. Such a small line, such Mm -hmm. a small line. And the way they, they, they built off of that is just so brilliant. It really is. So yeah, we get all of that stuff was great. I will say again, with the aging stuff, Jesse or Aaron Paul, his voice is definitely deepened. Oh yeah. He looks older. Oh yeah. um, Just because again, I mean, he was like what, mid twenties or late Mm twenties when he was doing that. And now he's like a 40 plus year old man. So it makes sense that that's the case, but yeah, in that particular episode, Jesse didn't really feel the same. In the follow-up one, he did. Yeah, feel like Jesse. Sure. He was able to slip back into the role. Walt, and however, Cranston just my god, he can just slip into that role at any moment. It's insane. Like it's kind of scary that he's able to just slip into that. What's crazy is that is that, is that his. That's what I'm saying. Like you watch yeah. you watch this episode, and you're like, he's perfectly playing that part of Walt in season two, and then you watch him come back again in the the finale, and. Dude, he's season five Walt completely. Like I know him going from one to the other is just nuts. It's amazing. So in the uh, episode Waterworks, we get our glimpse at Kim, what's become of her following Better Call Saul and then the events of Bringing Bad as well. That was she's devastating. In Florida. She's in black and white as well, and she has changed her life again. She's still punishing herself, um, so she's not doing any rewarding work as an attorney. She's just like working at a sprinkler company and she's at what even was her job there? She's like a, she's just a like a writer or something like that. Like something like, yeah. She do. just writes out the, the manuals or something or writes out the, the, the sales pitches. Right. Yeah. Some kind of pamphlet or something. I think yeah, she's just a copywriter. Copy, basically. Yeah. yeah. So she's doing that. And then she also, which is really tragic is she's completely passive in this new life. She doesn't make any choices, whether it's, down to Miracle Whip versus Mayo or anything at all. She just, you want to go to the Outback? Try it out? Sure. Yeah, she's just... It's a date. She makes no decisions at all. Because I guess she just doesn't trust herself to do that anymore. So, and it's part of her punishment. So she does she that. She watches The Amazing Race. Oh my God. <laughs> hey, The Amazing Race is good. But Not that good. I mean, not that good, but... It's, <laughs> she, she then... You gotta be really fit to be on this show. Yeah. Okay. There you go. She gets a call from Gene, from Jimmy, and then from it doesn't Saul. go well at all. She, uh, she, again, is like pretty passive, and also it's pretty crazy after that many years to get a call from him. Um, and he points out that Mike is dead, Fring is dead, Lalo is dead. Apparently, he still doesn't trust it. But he says all that, and she tells him to just turn himself in. He gets mad at that, and it's like, well, all these people are dead. Why don't you do it? And then she hangs up. But then she does go to AVQ, and she puts in the affidavit to let everyone know what happened to Howard Hamlin and to face the consequences if they are legal or if it's a civil case brought by mm-hmm. Cheryl. And she She's goes to, to Cheryl and tells it to her face. I know. She sits crazy. there and watches her read the affidavit, bro. Which is wild. And then we see it's just it's it? crazy. Like 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 it's like it's crazy that she like of course she would have known to some degree if she had a coke or if he had a coke addiction. So his death was definitely shocking and like surprising. But it's not anything like this. This is like nuts. Could you imagine like like you're shocked that your husband had a secret coke addiction and killed himself? That's a that's a pretty big shock. But eventually you realize maybe it's true. Maybe it is believable. 
this is just not something you could ever imagine in your wildest dreams that somebody could put on this big a con on your husband and then have him get murdered by a, a drug kingpin that had nothing to do with the con whatsoever who just showed up. I know. It's awful. And then it's almost unbelievable. And then she like the release of all of that, like years and years worth of just living as passive lifestyle, not really confronting everything fully, like taking a uh, full weight of the responsibility that she had. Like when she was able to tell Cheryl that she's on the bus and then the waterworks come out and talk about an Emmy winning scene. Cause that was just insane. Yeah. Ray Seahorn, apparently her name's Ray, not Rhea. Yeah. Ray Seahorn, just phenomenal. That was just heart wrenching to see. Yeah. It's and true. Then, the whole episode is just tragic for well, me. For sure. Because then we get to the divorce. Like we saw in the cold open of him just sitting there, like sort of distracting himself, getting himself ready. But then later we come in and it's him just acting so cold to her as they're wow. signing these divorce papers. He's, He's trying to pretend like he doesn't care. He's saying, oh, what are you doing in Florida? Oh, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Oh, have a nice life, Kim. All this stuff just to hurt her, like, on the way out. So vicious. And then we see Kim sharing a smoke with Jesse, which is cool. <laughs> they cross paths as he sort of second leads of the two shows. Um, which, again, I think the, like, thematic parallel is pretty interesting. Not that Kim suffered, as you pointed out, like, it's more of Nacho and Howard who suffer a lot of the, like, physical uh ramifications of what goes on from the main characters Certainly. jesse suffered a lot of those physical things but jesse and kim both of them as they're caught up in the schemes of the like mastermind of jimmy and walt they were always the ones with the conscience about it like they had mm -hmm. guilt whenever they were doing these things whereas walt yeah. and jimmy always were able to avoid that and escape that so pretty cool mm -hmm. getting to see them together. Yeah. I also love that Jesse. Yeah. Jesse is like iffy on going to Saul and asks if he's a good lawyer. And she goes, when I knew him. So it's like, you know, she really did push him to go there. I'm like, damn, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Wild. Wild indeed. And then we also get in that episode, Saul Goodman gets exposed from Carol Burnett. Um, I can't believe Carol Burnett was in this and played <laughs> such a big role. I'm so happy. I love Carol Burnett. Yeah, so that was uh, super cool. Again, he's getting arrogant. He's no longer cautious. He goes back to the house, the guy that has cancer, because the other dude didn't want to rip dude, off Dude, that cancer. scene was crazy. I really thought he was going to take that dude who has cancer, take his dog's ashes and smash it over his head and to steal his watches. I was like, that is like... Like, you've done some bad things, Jimmy, but that is like an in-the-moment horrible thing to do. Like, sure. I thought I thought even at this point he would have somewhat more of a conscience to not do that. This dude has cancer, is dying, he's going to steal all of his money and his watches, and in the process, smash this dude's dog's ashes over his head to make him unconscious. Yeah. I was like, dude, that's, that would just be so brutal. It but then be. he gets away, he doesn't have to do it. Let me see, later when... She looks up on Google or asks Jeeves, I think it was, Albuquerque con man, because she's suspecting him now. She sees a Better Call Saul commercial. He comes in, Gene, and sees it, and we see the flash of color on his glasses, which is- Oh, I cool. love that. All back to the first season when we saw that in the very first cold open. Um, so that was great. And then, once again, you think, oh my God, in this, in this moment, is he about to do something crazy? When he pulls the phone cord, starts wrapping it around his fingers. Like he's going to choke her out. Crazy. 
I was like, how far is he going to go at this point? I know, yeah. How, like how desperate is he? Ever been. But then he just runs. Mm-hmm. He, she As he always does. He lets her go, and then he runs. And then he gets caught very quickly in the next episode. So in the finale, series finale, Saul gone. You and I, together, watched this live. Yes, we did. Very special. With occasion. Cinnabon. I brought over some Cinnabon so we could feast as we watched it. It was also an interesting experience because we saw commercials. So every time a commercial came on, we were able to decompress a bit and make our predictions for what would come next. So it was a very interesting viewing experience. Um, and it was a great, a great finale. Had a great name. Again, Saul gone. I mean, fantastic. Yeah. So let's talk about this. First of all, we get a bunch of little flashbacks. We start out with a flashback with Mike, and then we get that with Walt in his like season five stage, the last time that he actually would have had the like goatee and the bald head, his classic look. And then finally, a flashback with Chuck. And through each of these, there's the time machine motif, which is also, as Walt points out, you're just talking about regrets. So if we're going to talk about regrets, just ask about my regrets. <laughs> so we get to see that. And so Mike... It's impossible. <laughs> Mike's regret uh, initially, I guess, would be his son's death. But then he goes back to the first time that he became a dirty cop, and, like took a bribe. And then he admonishes uh, Saul for talking about Berkshire Hathaway and just being all about the money. Walt does the same sort of thing. Like his uh, his regret is leaving the company, Gray Matter. And it's always interesting to see the way he frames it. Like, as you pointed out, he gets caught up on the idea of or you're talking about time machine is impossible. And then he frames it in a way of like he was getting manipulated and getting pushed out, even though he was the one that left, great matter. Um, mm. And then well, he comes at it from the perspective of, from my understanding, like he bre- he breaks up with Gretchen and then Gretchen starts dating Elliot. And the truth is that situation made him uncomfortable, so he left. But he comes at it from that perspective of like they pushed me out because they didn't want me around them. Right. But again, it's just his ego going off the charts. And think that they were out to get him instead of, again, it being actually him. But he admonishes Saul. And I think this is a great way uh, to put it. Because this is one thing I was thinking about as well. And then they put it in the show and put it as beautifully worded as possible. They have Walt point out to Saul as he's talking about a regret where he like did this slip in Jimmy Con and actually got hurt from it. He's like, oh, so you were always like this. What a great way to put it. Because yeah. it echoes again the Chuck thing of like, this is just who you are. You were always like this. You've always been this way. You will always be this way. Crazy. And then we have the actual flashback with Chuck where he also points out like this is a never ending discussion we have. Um, so that's super cool the way they were able to tie in those flashbacks. We could see these farewells to these uh, very essential characters. So good. We also get the reappearance of Marie out of nowhere. Neither of us expected Can't that. Can't believe it. Absolutely shocking when she turned. They around. all, every single one of the characters, I think mean, every one of the main characters from Breaking Bad, got to make a reappearance after the show, except for Skyler and Walt Junior. For Skyler, so sad. And Walt Junior. Which I guess we'll talk about that. This is a very long episode. We're going a long time, but I did want to talk about it as well. What would we would we want to see anything else? We'll get there. We'll get there in the universe in the future. But so Marie's there, and then she says they found you in dumpster. Makes sense. Good line, Marie. Always loves to dig it in there. So we have Jimmy, Saul, Gene, 
certainly Saul at this point. I like when he comes back, he shaves the mustache because he doesn't need it. <laughs> right. So he's there, and they're they got him dead to rights. Basically, they're like life in prison plus like eighty five years or hundred years or whatever it was. It was insane. And then we see him do his little shtick about, oh, this was my introduction to Walter White, a gun to my head. And he's like, that's all it'll take, just that sob story, and maybe one juror will be able to, you know, not decide to put me in life or put me in prison for life. And then he's able to talk them down to seven years. It's crazy. What we were thinking at the, like, after that point, then it became a commercial break. We were like, oh, God, the like this episode is going to be centered around the trial. And then it'll be the affidavit that Kim put in that'll bite him in the butt because that'll be like another thing that showcases, oh, he was a friend of the cartel. So he was always part of this even before Walter White. This is yeah. how he'll get brought down. And it'll be a decision that Kim makes of whether to be slipping Kimmy and help Jimmy one more time in a con or to finally own up to all the things she's done, but also force Jimmy to do the same. And like force mm-hmm. him to go to prison. Once again, these writers, they'll do anything except what you expect them to do, and make yeah. it that much better. They have him be able to talk it down to seven years, but they bring up that to Jimmy that Kim has already put in the affidavit, and so this is the trigger for Jimmy to come to terms with it himself. Instead of being forced to, he knows that Kim went and basically confessed like turned herself in as much as she could yeah and so now jimmy if she can do it he can do it too wants to do the same yeah and so she he comes up with this lie to the da about more information on the howard hamlin so that he can get kim to appear there so that she can see him own up to all of his crimes and all of his misdeeds and finally confront all the things he's been running from for all these years as Saul goodman so she can see him become jimmy mcgill once again so good. And we also have to point out his entrance into the courtroom. Bro. He looks like a true gangster. Bro. He's a top G. <laughs> Get that out of here. But he absolutely <laughs> looked like he was straight out of a mobster movie. Like somebody. Scorsese needs to get him on his next mobster film or something. Dude, he looks Put scary. it in black and white. Because he looked so good. I was like. He looked really, amazing. really scary. He did. And even though you could tell he had like the flashy suit on, but in the black and white, I mean, just the way the shadows are so crisp. Ah, so good. But yeah. So we get to see finally that happen. Kim gets to witness it. So good. That scene. So cathartic. We get that catharsis for this character. We also got the chicanery shot where it went to the exit sign. And we hear the little electric buzz uh, once he mentions Chuck. And then right after that, when we came back from commercial break, we got. Chuck flashbacks. That was a nice little foreshadowing that they had there. Um, so that stuff was great. We had the prison bus scene, which I didn't like. We had Jimmy Miguel as a prisoner. I also had, didn't like that prison bus scene. It was, yeah, it was a little over the top. Uh, the, just two on the nose. Agreed. And then we have, because what they had in the prison itself, like as he was passing by and people called him Saul, like that would have been enough. Uh, rare misstep, I think. But they stuck the landing at the very end because we had Jimmy McGill going to it's um, like holding cell, and then Kim is there pretending to be a lawyer because her bar card doesn't expire. And so there they are, and they get out a pack of smokes, and they go up against the wall, which has angled light coming through it, just in the same way that the parking garage did in season one, which I want to point out. 
When I brought that up, you made fun of me for it. How dare you? What did I say? When I said that, I was like, oh my God, it's like the parking garage in season one. You go very exaggerated. You're like, whoa, <laughs> mind-blowing. And I was like, dude, how dare you? And then I'm sorry, right it's just that, so obvious. And then right after that, you brought up that there's a subtle little bit of color in the like flame and in the cigarette cherry. And I did the same thing back to you because just to get back at you. Wow, well, that was something that was. Oh, come on. That was something that you actually noticed. In, I mean, come on. You look at them standing there. You're like, obviously, that's a callback to season one. No. Well, here's the thing. Do you think it takes more effort to remember something from season one or to see that there's a little bit of color in the black and white image? The if second a, one, because the second one's not a callback. If you're a true fan of the show, you appreciate the callback. Anybody can point out the black and white and say, oh, look, it's the flame. It's in color because their romance is still alive. Anyone I just think that. that's cool. I think so, too. But I'm oh, saying, how off. dare you knock my my thing that I pointed out as something cool. All right. All right. All right. I like apologize. I apologize. Put me in prison for seven years. I will. 86, actually, is what he truly got. Uh, which is insane. He was able to talk it down to seven. But then, yeah, he took on the 86 years. But you never know with good behavior. So, and then we see after that, she's walking through, leaving the prison. He's there on the basketball basketball court. Then he flashes the finger guns at him, at her. And then she leaves and she's looking back at him as long as she can. And then finally he disappears behind the wall. And that's it. Bro. The ending of Beta Conso. And apparently the Breaking Bad Union. All right, so real I quick. just I love I love in the end that they still loved each other after everything they had been through. There was still love. That's true. Yeah, it's a great thing that they point out. Like her very affectionate call to Jimmy, and then the color in the flame, and then the, the color in the flame, and then as well the framing the, of that shot, like exactly. it, the call back to season one, of course, and then them looking at each other as they leave, and then the finger guns thing. So they're like still a partnership. Uh, in that way, super cool. Yeah. Oh, snap. So <laughs> there goes the pen. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it flew away. Uh, so great way to again, just they stuck the landing yet again. It's fantastic. Absolutely. So, as a wrap up, three things we're going to be very brief with this favorite episodes. What's your top three? If you can oh, point them out, I never made a list. I'll go uh, first. Chicanery yeah, is second, Bagman is first. And actually, second would probably be plan and execution, or maybe point and shoot, because those were so good. But that would be the top three: bagman, point and shoot, or the uh, plan and execution. Either one, and then chicanery certainly is in the top three somewhere. Yeah, I just agree with you. I I have nothing else to input. We're on the same page here. Those were the best episodes. Something you asked in the Bring Bad episode, which I'll reiterate even though we kind of got the answer. So top three characters of Better Call Saul. You say Chuck is your number one? I'm going to say Kim's my number one. I'm going Jimmy, Kim, Mike. I'm going Kim, Chuck, Mike. (laughs) No love for Jimmy or Saul or Gene? Jimmy's four. Jimmy's the fourth one. You said three. Actually, you know what? You're right. I'm going to go Kim, Chuck, Jimmy. Mike's number four. Well, shout out to Chuck for getting included there. Chuck's uh, so good, dude. He's just so well written. I agree. Written. He's very well written. Every scene he's in is exciting. 
Okay, we're not going to get into this too much because it could be a whole debate on its own. But I will say the Breaking Bad versus Better Call Saul debate, the fact that it is even a somewhat valid question to bring up is super cool. It shows that Better Call Saul is insanely amazing. High quality. The fact that they were able to make a spinoff show this good. Again, mm. I wouldn't name any other spinoff show that is this successful. The only one I can think of is Frasier. And I've never seen that. Or Jeers. I can't speak to the quality of it. But this one is trying to live up to Breaking Bad. Widely regarded as one of the top five, undoubtedly. And probably the greatest show of all time. Certainly for you and me, that's the case. The fact that it, in some circles, is being lauded as even better than Breaking Bad. Incredible achievement for everyone involved. Great acting, great writing, great cinematography. Everything mm. about the direction. Fantastic. Phenomenal show. Would you personally put it over Breaking Bad? Yes or no? I think... I think and they're Turkey matched. And, are you saying, like, in terms of your favorite shows, you have now a tie of Breaking I Bad think and Better Call Breaking Bad is still my favorite show of all time. But I think in terms of quality, they're matched. Like, as a whole. If you look at both shows as a whole... They're matched. And I think the best way to put it is that combined with El Camino just makes the perfect cinematic universe. I the agree. Most the AB perfect. universe. AB universe. Because <laughs> we haven't figured out. People call it the Gillyverse, Breaking Bad universe. I, I call, call it Breaking universe. Bad universe. Whichever one it is. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, they had a, a hat trick, right? Three yeah. perfect things back to back to back. It's incredible. For me personally, I would still bring Bad definitely my favorite. Sure. And I would say Bring Bad's probably a little bit of a better show. Like Better Call Saul certainly relies on Bring Bad a lot. Of course. So you can't really watch it as its whole as its own show, which I think will always sort of defer to Bring Bad as like the better one or the one that stands alone on its better as a better entity. Mm-hmm. But also say there's like some things like Nacho as a character. I just feel like I didn't get attached to him that much. I feel like he could have gone deeper. Howard at yeah. some point gets left to the side. So there's like those but things they do that... similar things in Breaking Bad. So. Walter Junior, like Walter Junior, Walter Junior in a way, but he was never like a. Well, Junior never does anything. Nacho was like first or second episode, which I mean, I say Flynn, Walt Junior wasn't, <laughs> but like he was brought up as like our entry point along with Mike into the underworld stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, and then it sort of like shifted away from that. I would I mean, also I would point agree. To I'm like, that... it's because Gus got thrown in, and so. That whole underworld thing became about Gus and exactly. Nacho definitely got thrown to the side because of so that. So I would have liked sure. more uh like more exploration of his character and of like Howard Hamlin. Whereas I feel like Breaking Bad did a What about Badger job. and Skinny Pete? I think they got thrown to the side. Well again, they were always true side characters, so I know I'm joking. but to point out things like uh with Hank, like the evolution that he was able to have. Oh yeah. And even Skyler as well, like them becoming true characters on their own in the same way kim did in this one like in season one she felt more like that side character but then truly evolved into like the second lead so that was super cool i would also say the the split between like the legal world and the underworld like the cartel world in Mm -hmm. better call saul i understand why they went for it and it does come together like when uh in bagman and then howard getting shot i think those do when they do intersect they're pretty cool but I think it does always leave you with like a lack of stakes in certain points. Like they do the interpersonal drama really well with the legal stuff. I think here and there it's like hit or miss with the cartel stuff in this series. And Breaking Bad, 
they had a perfect fusion of the two, I think. Because everything mm -hmm. is life or death stakes with what Walt is doing and being in the drug trade. But then you also have all the interpersonal stuff with his family and everything with Hank as well. Like that always be being a looming thing over it. So I feel like that also probably elevates it over. I can understand that. I can understand that. But I think the stakes are certainly lower because you know where a lot of the characters end up. Which I think is also which is the ailment of it being a spinoff. Exactly. Of being a prequel specifically. It. Yeah. Like for sure. But also, I think of the cartel scenes as watching Mike enter the scene and watching Gus rise at the same time. Like, right. I think watching those things happen is important enough to where, like, even if the stakes aren't super high until, you know, seasons five and six, I'm still interested in watching how these two characters become what they become in Breaking Bad. Agreed. I mean, yeah, it's always interesting for sure. But I think it's whereas the legal mad. stuff is certainly the legal stuff is certainly like this is fresh and new. Like we're watching Jimmy become Saul, but this is all completely new stuff agreed. as opposed to just leading into Breaking Bad. Absolutely agreed. And then that's why I think season four is the weakest season, because the legal stuff was boring. And the the only thing you could rely on was Mike. Right. Oh, I guess that's the other question. So are we so it's. In chronological order, except season four, what falls below season three? Is that how you would rank the seasons? I put season four at the bottom, bro. I it really didn't one? like it. Crazy. Yeah, man. I man, I like I season one. Season one is definitely interesting in the way that the the like how it progresses is very odd. But it's I, it's definitely the same thing as Breaking Bad, where it's it's the setup season. I might put season four just above season one, but also I watched both of those months ago. You know. Gotcha. And I've only seen season four twice. Yeah, I've seen season one like three times. Yeah, I probably put it one, two, four, three, five, six. I really like season two. I think you're crazy. I would I probably do one, four, two, three, five, six. Gotcha. And then finally, they have said Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, they have said they are not going to continue, at least currently, with the Breaking Bad universe, that this is it. Sad. Would you want there to be more in the Breaking Bad universe? And if so, what would you want it to be? We talked about this a little bit when we watched the show. Like, would it be a Salamanca prequel or something else? So would you want, want it, number prequel. one? And then number two, what would you want it to be? I wouldn't want another prequel. If anything, I would want a sequel. <laughs> I would want a sequel to tie up loose ends. You know, what happens to Skylar and Marie's relationship? Like, exactly. how do they how do they resolve that conflict between the two of them? I said that's crazy. Yeah, because like said, in the in the finale of Breaking Bad, Marie is calling Skylar to warn her that Walt is back in town, and like that means they're in contact in some way or another. How did they get to that point where they were able to talk? Because Marie is definitely a person who holds a grudge, and this is the mother of all grudges. This is like the kingpin grudge, you know. Agreed. I want. I would like to see how they got to that point of yeah. being at least willing to talk to each other i said i think it was in the el camino episode whenever we did that i think i said something like that where i would desperately want to see uh something that deals with skylar and mm -hmm. yeah, the marie thing and everything with that i also would be 100 percent down not for a prequel i think we should be done with that yeah but for some sort of sequel series and they have a lot of the like younger characters running around i think because it's been i mean you could what, 2010 is like when Better Call Saul, the last thing that we've seen in the universe ends. Mm -hmm. So you can easily age them up, just make it like 2022, and here we are. They're 
practically adults now. I think it'd be interesting to take not all of them, but at least two of either Walt Jr., Jesse's brother, Rock, or Kaylee Ehrmantraut. And you have one of them be uh, like the DEA agent or just someone that's like working in that field. And then someone else is in the underworld, the crime, drug world. Maybe you have to have the DEA person go in undercover. Um, and then so that way we get that sort of interesting relationship where they're at odds at the beginning, but maybe they like learn to have that sort of rocky relationships or like Walt and Jesse did, but they end up sort of liking each other. And however that comes about in the aftermath of uh, Walt and the blue crystal meth, sky blue, they mm -hmm. call it. So seeing like how, and the reason I sort of want Walt Jr. to be one of those characters is so that we could also get that entry point into Skylar and Marie and how they would go about mm -hmm. it. Um, like how would Skylar's life be being the wife of like this uh, notorious drug kingpin? I feel like Marie would also take up some sort of activism and be like a spokesperson against drugs and whatnot. And she was sort of Bro, Walter Jr. Walter Jr. goes from Hank to Walt. You you start him at a DEA agent and then you bring him into the drug kingpin. That's why I think it'd be cool. Kingpin. Yeah, if he were the one to go into the underworld, like be the undercover person, and then he sort of sees the allure that it has and like the power that you get, and then he has to reckon with his relationship with his father, who he obviously hates at this point, but then will come to understand mm -hmm. and also still hate, but then that hate is now part of himself too because he likes it just like his father. And what does that make him? No better than his father. Like, it would be cool stuff. And obviously, in the hands of Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould and the whole writing staff that they had, I'm sure it would be excellent. And again, like with the Skyler Marie stuff, you could have, because Skyler was supposed to be a novelist or something. Like, they bring that up in the first season, bring back. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> Marie could do something like having her write a book or write some, like, nonfiction book, expose of, like, my life as the wife of a drug kingpin or something like that. My life is Heisenberg's wife. And then my year like, of hell. Exactly. Like pushing her to like come out with that story. Skylar could have reservations. Skylar Blue, based the on wife of, of the most notorious <laughs> meth kingpin in the United States. Exactly. And that could be like their, like how their relationship. That's actually evolved. what it would be called, though. It would be called Sky Blue. That would be perfect. Ooh, you're right. That's exactly what it would be called. Let's write this. Let's add this to the. Let's let's add this to one of the things that we write as fan fiction. We've got Jurassic Universe, <laughs> and we've got Sky Blue. We've got Sky Blue, the the Breaking Bad sequel. Exactly. But yeah, Sky no, Blue is not a bad never title, bro. Close to like even planning anything out because I would just want them to take it all away. But yeah, hopefully, yeah. like whatever they do next, I'm sure it'll be high quality. I'm sure it'll be successful, which will be great. But. And I know they're probably thinking, wow, we did it three times. Do we want to push our luck? But, I mean, if you're that good, you can do I it. I don't think they should push their luck. How many years, though? How many years? I also, I probably wouldn't want it to be another series. I'd be okay with it being a series. Like, I'd be fine with it, but I feel like they're more likely to strike gold with a movie that just wraps completely everything up. Gotcha. Not Maybe. to say, like, everything's pretty wrapped up as it is right now. There's just, like, a couple of loose threads. Right. That could be tied into a little bit of a bow. And because it's only a few loose threads, I feel like a show would just be would just be adding more threads to get dragged out to then make more product, make more shows. 
Like, I don't think it would end with another show. I think it would just be drawn out more. I think a movie could could fully end it. Because what El Camino was supposed to do. El Camino was because you know we don't know what happens to Jesse. There was that thread that was really yeah, left out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And El Camino ties that very well. I don't think there's any like need to go back to it. Like any loose end there. If they made a movie called Sky Blue scene. and it was about Skylar and Walter Jr. like dealing with that drama and it just ties and that Marie, knot yeah, I of think their be, family, I'd be down for that. That would That's be a good movie. Too. I'm also down for a series because, I mean, they did it twice. They could also, do it Sky Blue is just the perfect title Go for, for that movie, bro. Indeed, bro. We can see how Holly's doing. Yeah. Going in school, getting bullied for being the <laughs> daughter of... Your dad's a kingpin. Just throw, like, blue construction paper at all the time. <laughs> Have some meth, you little <laughs> loser. <laughs> Your dad's a meth maker. Shut yeah. up. Okay. That is that is definitely all the time we have. My God. Yeah, you're on board for a Sky Blue movie. I'm on board for, for sure. that movie or follow-up series. Why not both? But yeah, but certainly Better Call Saul. We have discussed it quite thoroughly. Oh, geez. How do you rank it out of... Uh... Out of uh, Howard Hamlin's with holes in their heads. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, I mean, it's weird to like rank or to rate television shows. I mean, I'll sure. give it a five. You're going to give it a five? Yeah, why not? Oh, yeah, me too. Oh, Perfect. Yeah, that is, yeah, that is definitely all the time we have. Thank you so much for listening to this behemoth of a show, which I think is even longer than our Breaking Bad episode. Oh, if you'd like to give your th- longest episode. Yeah. If you'd like to give your th- stuff, but that got broken up. Yeah, tell me about it. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshowpod at gmail.com. Our main title theme is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Be sure to tune in next week. Have a good one. Yay. Better call some-